0: Xbox on. Welcome to Xbox on, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 9th, 2020, including Xbox have announced a date for their July Xbox Series X event. Next generation games will likely cost $70. Xbox is reportedly interested in buying WB Interactive and more. those of you that are big Halo fans, of which I assume there are a good handful since this is an Xbox podcast, you may have noticed a lot of quote-unquote leaks and rumors going on about Halo Infinite lately. Relates to the Mega Bloks toys that have been coming out or that have been leaking and, and being previewed for Halo Infinite. So Mega Bloks is like, for those who aren't familiar, is like basically the main competitor to Lego. Not that, you know, Mega Bloks holds a candle to Lego, obviously Lego's... Massive, but Mega Bloks is like a, a Lego esque kind of compet- competing toy brand, and they've had the the Halo license for pretty much as long as Halo toys have been a thing. And so, you know, Mega Bloks always makes Halo toys every time new Halo stuff comes out. And you know, we've we've gleaned a lot of insight as to what's going on in Halo Infinite thanks to these Mega Bloks leaks. Um, but you know, lately there've been some like. You know, I've I, I've been clicking on them because I, I just want to remain in the dark from this point on about what's happening with Halo Infinite. I just want to see the gameplay reveal and then and then just play the game when it comes out. But there have been you know little like nuggets of like supposed story arcs or like. Uh, plot points about the game leaked from new images relating to new Mega Bloks toys. And I've seen a lot of people try to extrapolate like, OK, this toy means this. The fact that the enemies on the toys where this outfit means this. The fact that, you know, this place that comes with these characters and these vehicles means this about the story. And I think people are overlooking possibly the biggest quote-unquote, like, leak or or spoiler about the game as, you know, the biggest one that you could possibly notice, which is the fact that all of these toys are sold and made in the Mega Bloks art style. So if you really want to know a big leak or spoiler about Halo Infinite, I think you could point out the fact that it seems like 343 might be going for a Mega block art style for this game. You know, if these toys are really carrying so much information and so much so much uh, of a, a deep look into what we can expect from this game doesn't it stand to reason that maybe they're just maybe 343 is getting their ideas for Halo Infinite from Mega Blocks? maybe maybe Mega Bloks is has created is the creative vision behind this game in that when we play Halo Infinite we'll actually see that Master Chief looks like a Mega Block and that all the enemies look like Mega Blocks and just inexplicably all of the Halo universe now looks like Megablocks. So, I think that's something people have been overlooking. Um, obviously, this isn't you know fact, but it's it's largely the case. It's it's likely the case. It's highly possible that Halo Infinite is just that you know abandoned, canceled Megablocks game that we never got for Halo. So. There's that. Another thing I've actually been thinking about every now and then when people talk about Lockhart, you know, the the lower powered next gen Xbox that we haven't officially had revealed yet. People always say something about how, you know, oh, well, the thing about the Series S or Lockhart, you know, whatever you want to call it. People complain about how it's significantly underpowered in some in some aspects. It's supposedly. Uh, lower-powered than the Xbox One X, a console that's already been out on the market since 2017. And to this, I I feel like, you know, I I just started thinking about this, like, why would Microsoft, you know, release such a bare-bones console and, you know, have as part of their next-gen lineup? And I thought about that. I'm like, I think people are looking at this too much, like, you know, when the Wii U came out and there was, like, the white one with 8 gigs and the black one with 32 gigs, or, like, the PS5, which is going to come out with... Two models that are the exact same. The only difference is one has a disk drive and one doesn't. Or like, you know, the Xbox 360 that had like the arcade uh, with no hard drive and then the regular one that came with a hard drive. And it's not I don't think that the whole point of the Series S or Lockhart and then, you know, the Series X is that one is just mildly different from the other. I think the idea is since this is the console generation to blur the generation lines and to, you know, throw the whole concept of console generations in the trash and and since, you know, Xbox Series X is kind of the console gaming spaces foray into more of like a PC specifications kind of method of of thinking of console generations, that maybe maybe that's the whole point of the Lockhart. Isn't it's not that, oh well it's more powerful than an Xbox One, but it's not as powerful as a Series X. I don't think that's the point. I think it's that you know, basically we're cutting off the Xbox one. When these new consoles come out this holiday, we're not going to be selling Xbox ones and Xbox one X's. It's just the series S and the series X, and you can go into a store and buy whichever one you want. And maybe one's super underpowered and maybe one's super beefy. But the whole point isn't that this is the new next generation of Xbox. It's that from now on, almost like a soft reboot on like what Xbox is. It's like, these are your two choices for Xbox. Not, not the new next generation Xbox, but just Xbox as a brand. You can get this one that's super basic. It's $250. It's It only runs, you know, 30 games, usually cap at like 30 FPS, and they run at a resolution of 1080p, and it's just your generic run-of-the-mill, super affordable, consumer-friendly Xbox. And then the Series X is for more of our hardcore fans, the ones who want to do 4K, 60 FPS or more, you know, and just have this super high-fidelity, gaming experience kind of like you know pc tech spec nerds that's what the series x is for and so i I see this kind of as microsoft less so trying to you know fit in this mentality of generational uh, options and, and skews for the console and more so just saying you know, we're throwing out the Xbox One because that was that was back when we were doing Generations. That's back when we were doing the typical, typical thing. Now we just have the Xbox Series family of consoles, and you're just going to pick the one that... I mean, because isn't that the whole point of the series name? Is that, you know, this was the whole story back when the console came out, is that the Xbox Series X is not called Xbox Series X. The, the, the consoles in general are just called Xbox now. We've dropped all additional naming conventions. The Series X is just to differentiate differentiate what model of it it is you know so the same thing stands to reason with the series S or Lockhart where it's like it's not it's not you know the Xbox 360 this version or the PlayStation 5 this version it's just Xbox just like you know the Xbox Series X is they're both just regular Xbox it's which version of Xbox did you get not which version of Xbox series did you get and i think it's kind of a hard concept i think for a lot of gamers to kind of get on board with or or to get their brains starting to think that way because we've been so you know trained and taught throughout all these various generations from nintendo to sega to sony to you know even microsoft that you know you you do a generation of hardware you have a hard cutoff you move on to the next thing and it it works in like these generational leaps whereas now we're doing this more fluid kind of whatever thing and having and having that kind of break from the Xbox One generation and then just having various models of Xbox for people to pick with varying, you know, like largely varying different degrees of of performance is just a way of saying what Xbox fits your needs, what price range fits your budget, blah, blah, blah. And so I think that's the whole point of, you know, and this is all, of course, conjecture until we really know what the Series S or the Lockhart is called, what it's priced at, what its specs are. But I think this this concept isn't that, you know, just because you're buying a series S or Lockhart means it's more powerful than any of the Xbox one consoles. I think the point is that what if you don't want to spend five or $600 on the most powerful console of all time? What if you just want to spend $250, 300 get your foot in the door and have the ability to play Xbox because you've never owned an Xbox before. Or you haven't owned an Xbox in years, or you just, you're like a more casual gamer, you know, or you heard that this new halo game is good or whatever, and you want to give it a try. Well, that's what the series S allows you to do because for for as great as the Xbox Series X sounds on paper especially to us Xbox fans it is pretty you know it is pretty off-putting to the general consumer right cuz if you think about like the Nintendo Switch a console that sells like crack not because it's the most powerful console ever made but because it is it's an affordable and accessible console to almost anyone to pretty much anyone who wants to play a video game right Anyone from like hardcore gamer to Nintendo classic fanboy to I barely ever play games can get behind the idea of like 250 to $300 will get you a Switch and then you can play Mario or Zelda or Animal Crossing or whatever you want to play. Microsoft doesn't really have that alternative, or Microsoft doesn't really have that with the Series X. The Series X is very specifically targeting the most hardcore gamers, you know, if you think about mass audiences, they're not really excited by the idea of like, oh, wow, I can I can break 60 FPS. I can have 4K game true. 4K gaming and ray tracing and all for $600 or whatever, that's not really enticing to your average consumer. Your average consumer is saying, wow, that new insert name of game here, looks really good. I want to play it. But unfortunately, that new console is too expensive. And the Series S is supposed to cater to that person who doesn't really give a shit about the FPS and the resolution, but just says, I want to play this game. It's on this console. I wish that a con- that console was more accessible and affordable for people like me. And that's kind of the point in having there be such a large gap between your Series X and your Series S. Clearly, this is a conversation probably best fit for like a news story about the Lockhart, but it was just something I had a random thought about, so I thought I'd just cram it here at the top of the show, which is fitting anyway because usually the top of, sh- top of the show is just an hour of me talking about food and un- other unrelated Xbox topics, so... Nice to start our Xbox podcast this week with a little information or or conversation actually regarding the thing this podcast is supposed to be about. So with that said, we will now jump into our comments, shoutouts from last week, and go derail this whole thing and stop talking about Xbox and maybe hopefully talk about some pizza. Our first comment this week comes from Fatal Frost, who says, I've been listening to this podcast weekly for the last six months or so, but on Spotify, so I've never bothered to comment. Just wanted to say that listening once a week is just a really enjoyable experience and it's such an awesome way to catch up on all the big Xbox news for the week. I really appreciate your effort that you put into this show and I hope you continue it for a long time. Thank you, Fatal Frost. I I recognize that name. I believe you followed me on Twitter or Xbox or something recently, but I, I recognize the name. So I greatly appreciate the shout out and the kind words. Always really exciting, honestly. I This isn't like a YouTuber trying to get big kind of thing to say. I, this is really just genuinely... This, this show for a long time was starting to get very like very tiring and and unfulfilling to do on a weekly basis because there was a long time where I was doing this show and it felt like no one was listening and I wasn't getting any feedback and not that I'm entitled to that or deserve it by any stretch of the imagination but it was it was disheartening to feel like I've been consistently putting this work in the show and nothing happened and for some reason whatever happened but maybe it was COVID or the announcement of the Xbox Series X but in the past like three to five months or whatever it's been. I've just, this show's really been picking up. That's listenership is picking up, but most importantly to me, um, people have been commenting and, and sh- asking questions and striking conversation and posting silly ass things. And that's really what I want this show to be about more than anything is Xbox fans having a place to come and converse about Xbox, but mostly me because I'm the host. So, just know that all your voices come second to mine, you fucks. But thank you for writing in, Fatal Frost. Our next comment here comes from OG Man Man, who commented the other week. This is his second time coming in. Thank you again for writing in. He goes Listening to the podcast this week, I heard some people talking about the prospect of a battle royale mode in the new Halo Infinite. Being a Halo fanboy uh, myself, much like you are, I'm not sure how I feel about this, uh, and I'm not sure if I would like an open-world Halo game. What are your thoughts? Also, just wondering a bit of your backstory regarding your love for Disney. You may have discussed in a previous podcast, but as a newer listener, I've picked up on your love for all things Disney. Just curious how that all came to be. Again, keep up the great work. Uh, Looking forward to listening next week. Thank you, OG Man, for... Uh, commenting I really actually appreciate this comment a lot because one uh, your first question about Halo Infinite I think is a really good question that I'm excited to talk about and two your question about Disney is a perfect way for me to derail this podcast and talk about something that I'm sure uh, the mass majority of the audience doesn't want to hear about so I can't wait to get into that as well but let's start with the with the more pertinent impressing question here about Halo Infinite so this is funny that you say this because a couple of years ago I actually try – I don't know if I say this a lot, but I try to limit the amount of gameplay or video game-related news I consume. I I honestly only really check, like, Windows Central and IGN and 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 websites like that about once or twice a week, and that's just to gather up all the news I'm going to use to write about the show. I used to be a lot more of, like, a video game news consumer with podcasts and and news sites and YouTube YouTube channels. But I really tried to roll back on that, one, because a lot of it I just don't find as interesting anymore, and two, because I don't want too many things to influence my opinions and my and you know the things I had to say for this podcast. I want this podcast to be like my natural – reactions and thoughts and feelings towards news rather than just a recitation of what I hear out there. Although to some extent, you know, my, my ideas and thoughts are pretty influenced by the few sources I do follow. And, and I guess the only reason I'm bringing this up is actually because one, one source I actually do respect and follow quite often is, uh, Colin Moriarty, who is a, he's actually a PlayStation podcaster. Uh, he, I mean, he's, Long-time video game industry guy who actually, for whatever reason, is a controversial figure, even though all he does is talk about PlayStation. But um, he, as someone who worked in the industry for a very long time, had on pretty good authority that apparently about two years ago, whatever year it was where EA announced the Firestorm mode for Battlefield 5, their Battle Royale mode, he said that E3, I'm pretty sure it was 2018, um, but that E3 apparently... 343 had a Battle Royale mode for Halo 5 that they were ready to reveal and show off at that year's Xbox press conference. And then after the EA Play event happened one or two days beforehand, they saw the kind of negative reaction um, that Firestorm or whatever it's called from Battlefield Five was getting. And the kind of, you know, audience sentiment that like Battle Royale was quickly becoming the next obnoxious trend in gaming that we didn't need a million of these things and gamers weren't really having it. And that basically what happened was they, they just immediately cut the project. They cut it from the show and put it back on the drawing board and were like, I don't know that we're gonna do this. Now, I don't know how much truth there is to that, um, but usually his sources are pretty reliable. So I've always hung on that, thinking that's so weird the idea of a battle royale mode in a Halo game. And and with that, I always thought, well, you know, I think a better idea would try to be to put a battle royale mode in Halo or in the next Halo game, Halo Infinite, rather than trying to push it or shoehorn it into a Halo game that's pretty much at the end of its lifespan, which is Halo Five or, you know, at the end of its lifespan in terms of being the most relevant in recent Halo. So it's really interesting that apparently this story's kind of making the rounds again, and it doesn't surprise me at all the thought that maybe they maybe they didn't, you know, cancel the project altogether, but they shelved it and decided to make it a Halo Infinite thing, or maybe it was always a Halo Infinite thing, but I guess the only reason I'm bringing that up is to say this is not the first time I've heard murmurings about Battle Royale and Halo. I think I'm of a couple of minds with this. One... Do like if I were in charge of Halo, if I were Bonnie Ross, if I worked at 343 and I had the final say, would I be pushing for a battle royale mode in a Halo game? No, absolutely not. One of the things that makes Halo so special is that Halo was a franchise that spearheaded, right? It was a unique sci fi franchise back in a time where sci fi wasn't really like beyond surface level in any video game, you know? It was, it was arguably Halo is like the most lore driven and dynamic and deep and, you know, fan driven kind of sci-fi game ever created in the video game sphere. And more importantly than that, it was just its gameplay loop and what it did for first person shooters on home console. And, you know, the history Halo has with not only local multiplayer, but online multiplayer with kind of being the thing that ushered you know, Xbox Live into the home of of people all over the world. Halo is just one of those franchises that's all about setting the trend and kind of spearheading and being ahead of the curve. And so that's one thing about Halo I've always really loved and respected. And I think most Halo fans would agree that that hasn't really been Halo in recent years, even though, you know, I would argue Halo went as far as to really make the real-time strategy genre a feasible genre for home console with Halo Wars and that, you know, even like in 09 when ODST came out, I feel like Halo was kind of early in the kind of horde mode genre when that was a new thing. They were kind of early to that and, and kind of did it in their own way and innovated in a unique way. But I guess that's that's really the closest thing we can compare a Battle Royale mode in a Halo game to, right? Would be like when ODST got Firefight because, when Firefight came out, it was around the time like Gears of War had got a a, a horde mode and Call of Duty, of course, famously had its Nazi zombie mode. And then that, that kind of game mode was really blowing up and take, taking off at that time. So in that sense, it's like it's not like it would be completely un- unprecedented for Halo to be like, oh, we're going to we're going to try to follow that new multiplayer mode trend thing. But at the same time, they got to do like what Bungie did when they made Firefight. For Halo, Halo ODST, or hell, they need to do what 343 did when they made Warzone or Warzone Firefight for Halo 5. And just if you're gonna do Battle Royale, make sure you have a really good, fun, and interesting and unique twist on the genre so that it at least feels distinctly Halo, or like at, at least it was something where you could creatively exercise some new ideas within this already, you know, fastly stale genre, in my opinion. Yeah, I just, I don't, I think like most Halo fans, I don't like the idea of 343 kind of using this kind of bandwagony thing of like everyone has a battle royale and shoe- shoehorning it into something as special and sacred as Halo. You know, Halo is one of those things where you only get it every now and then because it's a very, it's a very meticulously made game. It's a very it's like painstakingly hard to make crafted world where they put so much deliberate effort into making sure the multiplayer is just so and the story is just so and the campaign is just so and the balance and the sound design there's so much that goes into making halo you know halo it's i don't i don't mean to disrespect you know the the many many people that work on call of duty games but it's one of those things where like call of duty feels like a game it's like you buy it in november and you're over it by december or january and then you forget about it and move on to the next one it's like junk food game whereas like halo is like Halo, every Halo game is supposed to be like a timeless classic from the moment it re- releases, right? That's why we're, you know, that's why people are excited right now that Halo 3 is out on PC right now, because Halo 3 was super fucking amazing in 2007, and now it's 2020, and Halo 3 is still super fucking amazing. That's the whole point of a Halo game, is it's, it, it, it's instant classic, never gets old, always super fun to play, whether you're playing Combat Evolved or Halo 3 or Reach or 4 or whatever, every Halo game is a timeless classic, and You got to be careful with Battle Royale because even though it could potentially be a fun thing now, it could look pretty bad in like four years when Battle Royale is a genre that kind of crashed and burned after everyone tried to do it and it became a race to the bottom type of deal. And then we're all just looking in retrospect and you see all the YouTube essay accounts out there doing the videos of like, remember when Halo had Battle Royale? That or it's called battle royale that time halo tried to be cool or whatever and everyone starts talking about oh remember when halo tried to do a battle royale mode oh that was so crazy that's such a 2020 thing oh my god i can't believe they did that so we i think that's that's where this that's where the concern or at least for myself initially comes from is we don't want to see halo become you know, a trend, a trend follower. We want to see it be a trend setter. And I think that's a lot of why people hate, you know, the fact that halo ever introduced run and, and things like that, or like Spartan armor abilities, because we want to see halo be what makes halo unique. We don't want to see it playing catch up with Fortnite or call of duty. And I don't think having a battle Royale inherently means that it's playing catch up or it's trying to jump on the bandwagon. But I think the cynic in all of us feels that way initially. And if you're going to do something like put a Battle Royale mode in a Halo game, you're going to have a lot to prove to turn people over into to, to win over the fans. So I don't know how I feel about it, but as someone who pretty much dislikes every Battle Royale I've ever played with the exception of Apex Legends, I would be cautiously optimistic about trying a Battle Royale mode in Halo. Um, but, I mean, if it's fun, it's fun. I guess that's all that really matters. If it's a good mode and it's addictive and it's fun to play, I, does it matter? I don't know. I Just just make sure that that's not hindering the development time of modes like your classic arena multiplayer and, of course, your campaign, which has to be beautiful and perfect because that's what we're all here for. But, yeah, I totally get that sentiment. Now, as for the part about Halo Infinite being open world, this is something people have been speculating about ever since, you know, we got that first teaser back in 2018 for like kind of the setting and the tone the tonal trailer we got and I've kind of always been of the mindset that Halo Infinite is an open world game but I think that's kind of because I've somehow convinced myself of that by always saying that you know I always say on the show Halo Infinite needs to be Halo's equivalency of Zelda Breath of the Wild where it needs to feel like Halo and be Halo in spirit and in tone but also reinvent the wheel so that it feels like The evolution or of what Halo needs to be, you know, in 2020. So I don't I don't know somewhere along the lines of me always saying that I've convinced myself that that means Halo Infinite is an open world game. But I don't know that to be true. And I don't again, I don't follow anyone specifically who has made me think that's true. The only like Halo YouTubers or influencers I follow are pretty much people who just talk about like Halo lore So that's pretty much all the Halo news I consume from like fans is just, you know, lore, like what happened in this book and things like that, clarifying this concept in the Halo universe. So I don't really know, but I I have to imagine that if not like completely open world, like – like you know, fucking, I don't Witcher, or Fallout, or Zelda, or whatever. It's got to at least contain open world elements. And I think, I think we always knew that that was what three four three was getting at, especially with Halo Five, because Halo Five had those weird missions where you were just kind of dropped into like these zones. There's like the one on saying Helios, and there's the one on Meridian, where you're just kind of exploring and talking to people, and they're like five minutes long, and you just walk around and get intel, and then the level's over. And I, I think I remember saying seeing that somewhere along the development of Halo 5, those were originally intended to be more like open-ended, open-world levels, and that they were supposed to be more, it was supposed to encourage exploration and to kind of break up the shooting, the monotonous shooting of the game. I don't know that that was really the case, but I, I mean, it seems like it was. Those levels kind of felt, janky and out of place anyway so i assume there was a bigger intention there from the start and that's what they're going to do with halo infinite that's why halo infinite is taking five years instead of two or three years is because they're really taking the time to flesh out this world make it big break down the walls and and make halo into something grander than what it was you know halo combat evolved really fucked with our sense of exploration because you know, when you think about level two, when you think about landing on that Halo ring in Halo Combat Evolved, you think about what an open world it feels like. There's so much to explore. And you can still play that level and get lost a little bit. But then if you play a game like Halo 5 or Halo 4, it definitely feels a lot more linear and kind of like it's funneling you through the game. So I got to assume that 343 is really interested in kind of in their effort, in their mission to, as Bonnie Ross says, kind of have us that spiritual reboot for Halo. And as we know, Halo Infinite Contains a Halo ring. We've we've seen this all over the marketing for the game. I think that's kind of what they're doing. Is they're saying well, we're taking you back to a Halo ring, but now we're gonna we're gonna break it open and make it more open world and explorable than ever before. And I think I don't know. I, in theory, without thinking about it too much, I think that's the right choice for Halo. But at the same time, I am weary of what that means because. You think about Halo or Bungie's classic like three seconds of fun gameplay loop philosophy, which is, you know, for those that don't know, is it's Bungie's mentality that the thing that makes Halo so fun is that it's like every it, I think they say it's like 10 seconds of fun or seven seconds of fun. It's that every seven or 10 seconds or whatever it is, you should always be having fun. So whether that means turning the corner and there's a new group of enemies or you throw a grenade, and it makes a fun explosion or just something that happens that kind of on a subconscious level is, is engaging the player every seven or 10 seconds or whatever. And that's what makes the game addicting and fun. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, that's, That's the the core concept of gameplay design is of game design is how do you trick the player into thinking that they're not doing the same thing over and over again? Obviously, you know, if you if you ever talk to someone who doesn't play video games or doesn't appreciate games, especially Halo, they look at it from an outsider's perspective and they go, I don't get this game. All you do is shoot stuff. How is this fun? All you do is just shoot and shoot and shoot. And it's it's one of those things where it's like on a subconscious level when you're playing it, the fun of the game is that. It's doing such a good job immersing you and in, in subvert or it's doing such a good job immersing you and getting you caught up in the events of the game and being visually appealing and being fun that you forget that at the end of the day really all you're doing is just shooting aliens over and over and over again so I think it's harder to attain that concept and, and, and keep it intact if you're gonna do an open world game so I'm really curious to see, You know, if you're really going to make Halo an open world game, you're really going to have to take some liberties with the formula. You're really going to have to move things forward and change really drastically some core aspects of the game. And so I'm hesitant or cautious about what that means for Halo's gameplay formula. But I also think as someone who genuinely does not like open world games or doesn't like how everything feels the need to be open world these days, that if any game can really pull off an open-world game or or can really justify itself as an open-world experience, I think Halo is one of them because maybe this just comes from me as a Halo fanboy, but I think that world, that universe of Halo is just so ripe for exploration. And it's like the one example of, of a game where I really wouldn't mind pouring 50 60 70 hours into just slowly exploring and working my through this massive world and doing all these different things and getting lost and side quests and collectibles and kind of just exploring off the beaten path and I think I think Halo is a franchise that really could justify that more so than a lot of other franchises that feel the need to go open world all of a sudden so again I guess similar to the battle royale thing it's like there is a there's a bit of hesitation because that's not what Halo traditionally is but if they can pull it off and show us why it needs to be open world then I'm excited to see it. So there's a very long answer to your question. I appreciate that. As for my Disney thing, I won't I won't harp on that too long. I know this isn't a Disney podcast, but actually my Disney obsession stems actually from my love from for theme parks. Always loved Disney World. Yeah, actually as, as you may know cuz I sometimes say on the podcast, I live here in Orlando, Florida, literally 10 minutes from Walt Disney World. I moved here as soon as I graduated college because I couldn't stand the thought of not living as close as possible to Walt Disney World. I visited this place once as a kid, fell in love with it, made it my mission to come back here as an adult, did so as soon as I had a car and disposable income and a means of doing so, and just haven't stopped coming ever since. And so my love for Disney really stems more from my love of theme parks. And obviously when it comes to theme parks, no one does it better than Disney. So, you know, my love for Disney theme parks has you know, in turn, heighten my love of Disney movies. I definitely really enjoy Disney movies, especially more so from the animated side of it, you know, Disney and Pixar. And I, I'm definitely there watching and following alongside. And I, I know a fair amount about all the other aspects of Disney, but really my love for Disney stems from the theme parks. I think theme parks are, you know, aside from video games, it's my biggest love. In fact, I'd actually probably say Theme parks are my number one love. Video games are actually my number two, but video games are much more accessible and easy to enjoy and kind of hobby, whereas theme parks are a little more expensive and time-consuming and a kind of a thing you have to make a bigger effort to enjoy. But I love theme parks for the same reason I love video games because I think theme parks are a medium of art and storytelling that are greatly underappreciated and greatly overlooked, and that there is a uh, there's a potential to to immerse and to tell and to connect with audiences in a way that people constantly just miss and overlook and forget about. Uh, You know, I think obviously, you know, the novel is probably the most regarded, uh, literature in general is the most highly regarded form of art and storytelling when it comes to, you know, conveying a narrative and bringing a reader along a story and kind of bringing them into a world. And I think cinema has definitely gotten to the point where I think it's not as, well-regarded from like a sophisticated philosophical and scholarly kind of perspective, but I think general audiences pretty clearly love movies and respect them pretty well. And we have things like the Academy of, of course, to recognize great movies and things like that. And, I'm happy to see that video games have really become that in the past 10 years or so, or they're trying to take themselves seriously enough these days to see that they're also a a very serious and important form of of immersion and storytelling and world building. Um, But I think video games still have a long ways to get uh, to where they need to be. And unfortunately, I think video games are trying too hard to kind of follow the movie industry beat for beat and try to do what they do when it comes to like Recognizing art and talent in the, in the games industry, which I think is kind of a missed opportunity because honestly, in my opinion, I think video games are just like so far and wide, like a vastly superior mode of storytelling and immersion and in, in, in world building than movies. They're just like infinitely better and I think Hollywood in particular is just kind of so disgustingly up its own ass. It's kind of obnoxious, but movies are actually quite honestly my least favorite form of art and storytelling because I just, I can't stand the mass majority of movies that come out. And I find, you know, the kind of Hollywood mantra, everything from, like, actors to writers to directors. I kind of find 90% of Hollywood people to just be so, like, painfully obnoxious that I can't even, as the kids say, with most of that shit. So I, I do wish the video games industry would kind of recognize what makes it unique and kind of find its own way to celebrate its its industry. But, yeah, I think I think theme parks are similar to games in... But are at an even greater disadvantage to where it's, you know, you go to, you think of like a theme park, like everyone knows Disneyland and Walt Disney world. Like these are world famous theme parks. These are, you know, the textbook definition of a theme park. Everyone thinks about Disney first and foremost, right? People come from all over the world to come to Disney theme parks. And, and so they get a lot of money and attention, you know, these great places for families to vacation and everyone goes there at least once in their lifetime as, as it's, as it's told. But that that doesn't, that doesn't distract from the fact that I think people greatly overlook how amazing theme parks are and the potential they have for really bringing people into the world. You know, if, if books are amazing because reading a book does the best job of getting you into the head of a character. I think theme parks do the number one best job of quite literally bringing you into the world of, of a universe or something like that. Video games give you the direct control and agency over the characters because you know what happens in the game is all up to you. And I think it's awesome that these different mediums and, and modes of storytelling and art offer you know different ways to really explore these things. That's what's kind of cool about the whole idea of taking a property and making it cross, you know, crossing different mediums, you know, like when you have something like Halo and it's like, oh, we kind of want to make a movie about it, but we have books about it. And it's a game series, even though most times those things don't pan out. I like the idea of that just because you need you need different modes of art and storytelling to explore these different aspects in greater detail. And I think theme parks just get so overlooked. And Disney does the best job of really exploring these modes of storytelling and entertainment because you go to a Disney park and at least for me, I think they really do the best job at, at making you leave the real world behind and enter this new universe. It's the same reason why, you know, when I'm playing Halo, I love forgetting about the outside world and, and believing and taking serious this ridiculous, heinous world of Halo where, you know, it's it, we're, we're in the 26th century and there's these genetically enhanced super soldier Spartans and we've, we have this slip space technology that's allowed us to travel to different galaxies and solar systems and shit and we're at war with this alien race or, or these various alien races under one Alliance. And I think that's such a cool world to explore, but I think about like, well, what if there was like a halo land at a theme park, that'd be so amazing because then you could explore halo in a way that games don't allow you to, you could, you could really explore the world in a way where you as a physical human being are walking around and interacting with that environment in a way that games don't allow you to. And you know, Games allow you the opportunity to be Master Chief and to control him and to shoot aliens. But when you go to a theme park, you have the ability to literally step foot on on the grounds of that, of that universe and to touch objects in that universe and to eat the food that exists in that universe and to go on a ride where you're like put in the action of something that would happen in that universe. And I think theme parks are doing a, the best job they've ever done with that. You know, like Disney World here in Orlando, we have a whole land dedicated to James Cameron's Avatar, which is just like the most amazing, breathtaking, immersive land in a theme park I've ever seen. It's so incredibly well thought out and just there's so much meticulous detail and it's just the most amazing place ever. And I think all the time when I'm there, what if this was a fucking land based on Halo? Because it's kind of the closest thing we'll ever have to a Halo theme park because it really is a land that's entirely dedicated to this world of Pandora, which is, you know, the world from that Avatar movie that James Cameron made all those years back in 09. and it's kind of a similar concept to halo where i'm like this is a story that's all about this world halo is all about you know these halo installations and these planets that you explore and the kind of natural life that exists within it and the kind of whole like humanity impeding on these other planets that already existed long before we were here and i just think it's such a missed opportunity that people don't really admire and appreciate that And that's, that's really what draws me to theme parks. And that's really what fuels my love for Disney. And, you know, my love for the theme parks have, you know, in effect, also heightened my love for things like Disney Infinity and Disney movies and things like that. But if that's, that's why I bring up Disney all the time is because I think Disney in particular, but theme parks in general are just some of the most Incredible places that just don't get the respect and attention they deserve for the, the immersion, the storytelling, and the world building that they can and do offer. But I appreciate you asking because I always love an opportunity to talk about theme parks as I don't get to really explore my passion and share my passion for that with many people otherwise. Also, just thank you for writing in. I appreciate your comment. Our next one here comes from Linbert Bond who says, What was your first Xbox Live multiplayer game you played online? P.S. Favorite pizza toppings are spicy chili beef, chicken, pepperoni, and jalapenos. Alright, Lindbergh Vaughn. So, first Xbox Live game you ever played online. This isn't going to be a very inspired answer because it's probably most people's answer, but definitely Halo 2. I've said before on the show, I actually came into the Xbox original generation pretty late in the game. I was a pretty young child back then, so I had no no income, no means of getting my hands on an Xbox. Luckily, my older brother uh, mowed lawns for an entire summer to buy one off of one of his friends at school. So, you know, around the last year, right around the time Halo 2 actually came out, we, we got uh, uh, Xbox and we got Halo Combat Evolved, and then we got Halo 2 shortly afterwards. So, while I, I mean, I, I explored a lot of the OG Xbox games lineup, especially in retrospect, but most of my OG, you know, Xbox Live experiences or OG Xbox gaming experiences in general were centered around Halo One and Two, and so Halo Halo Two is definitely my my earliest uh, memory playing uh, Xbox Live, and I actually remember I I vastly preferred playing Xbox or playing Halo local multiplayer like with my brothers or my brother-in-law or you know other people that I knew compared to online because one I sucked dick online and I still do to this day and two because I uh I was always pretty intimidated by like other people with headsets you know this is back in the the era where people actually were in you know lobby chat communicating with strangers and so it was always pretty intimidating to me that people were like actually talking. It just felt like a real social situation. And I I want to know part of that. But I also remember just being so blown away by Xbox Live and thinking it was just the coolest thing to be able to interact with games in this new way that was completely foreign to me. So, yeah, definitely Halo 2, but uh, (laughs) that's a a weird throwback to think about. As for your pizza toppings here, Lindbergh Bond, you, you mentioned spicy chili beef. I don't want you to think I'm judging you. I've just literally never heard of that as a pizza topping. So I do i do i guess maybe i just need to look into it but spicy chili beef it's a. Uh, am not gonna hey i said the other week i won't knock it till i try it I'm, I'm open-minded especially when it comes to pizza but that's a that's a new topping for me now chicken you say I, I i do love chicken we talked about this so i appreciate i appreciate you having a similar opinion to me pepperoni of course classic and you say jalapenos jalapenos are fine on pizza to me i don't I'm not a big jalapeno guy, but I'll eat them if they're there, but I'll never opt to put them on something. So interesting choices there. I do appreciate you sharing your pizza toppings with me. My mother writes in and she says, chicken, bacon, onions, and pineapple with garlic Parmesan. Yum. I think those are her pizza toppings. Either that or she's just maybe she's just cooking and she's. Writing the ingredients to her recipe on Google or on YouTube. Here, I, I don't really know what's happening, but thank you for writing in, Mother. And then next we've got Lethal Migraine coming in with a couple com- comments. He goes, if they're making a Perfect Dark game, it needs to be a cross between Deus Ex Splinter Cell and- with Joanna Dark being bigger and more badass than Lara Croft. That's exactly what I was looking for the other week when someone asked what I would want a Perfect Dark game to be. I think that's a it's a pretty good response there. Also, Joanna Dark. That was the name. I forgot. I I think I called her Jill last week. So. I apologize to the fictional character of Joanna Dark. I I got your name now, thanks to Lethal Migraine. He also says, Will you please post that waffle iron link? Sounds like something right up my alley. As for waffles versus pancakes, waffles 100 out of 100 times. So last week, I told you that I got this Cars 3 Lightning McQueen waffle iron maker, and it was incredible. And then Lethal Migraine here was interested in it. So I sent him the Amazon link for it. I, I told him to get ready for next generation breakfast. And he says, thanks, I'm buying that for sure. I love cars. So, Lethal Migraine, if you're out there listening, just know that the fact that you are an Xbox fan and you love Disney Pixar's cars makes me extremely erect for you. And that that's just a double whammy. I feel like no one, it seems like no one I meet gives a shit about Xbox, and no one I meet ever likes cars. Cars is like the most divisive Pixar movie of all time. I think it's a greatly... Oh, Underappreciated and overlooked Pixar movie. I think people don't like it because they don't get it. I think people always look for Pixar because Pixar movies are always like super character-driven and, you know, they're tear-jerkers because they're about these characters you get really attached to. And while Cars certainly has the characters, I think people miss what's so great about Cars and it's that Cars is a setting story, not a character story. And if you really watch the first Cars movie in particular from the perspective of a piece of like... Uh, a remembrance and kind of a, rom- a romanticism of like this classic West Coast California car culture circa like the 1960s and so on. I think it's a really emotional and touching story that people just constantly gloss over because they just see it as like Lightning McQueen, Kachow, Tomator, and they're missing the point, man. But Cars 3, also an incredible movie. That one's definitely more of a character-focused story. And I would say it's equally as great as the first one. Goddamn, I fucking love cars. And I just, I really appreciate you saying that lethal migraine. Now, as for your your preference, I, I asked last week, I said, what do you guys think, waffles or pancakes? Lethal Migraine is definitely a waffle guy, so I'm excited to see, oh, oh, in our next comment here, Mr. Sur- Surugi1 comes back, and he says, waffles versus pancakes? Pancakes in the morning, waffles for desserts. I really appreciate this comment, Surugi, because you, you took my question, and you spun it on its head, and made me think about it in a way I hadn't considered before, and it kind of blew my brain, because I think in this subjective question of waffles versus pancakes, I think you've... You've provided an objectively correct answer, which is that, you know, I've always, I told you, I've always been a pancake guy through and through from start to finish, but lately I've been really feeling the waffle. And I think this kind of really encapsulates the correct answer and really gives proper respect where due to each, to each, um, I don't know what you would call a waffle or a pancake—a a pastry, a, not a pastry, a, 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 a thing, a, a carbo a carb-loaded breakfast item, whatever. Um, but the pancake is a great—I I love the idea of a pancake stack in the morning. You know, you got your eggs and your your bacon and whatever things you eat in the morning. But the pancakes are there; they're at the center of of it all. I love that. And but the waffle really is an incredible dessert option. And and, and you think about it, it's more than just like. It's more than – it's just so versatile compared to pancakes, right? Because you could do you could do the savory thing. You can do the chicken and waffles. You can do the dessert thing. You can do, like, a loaded waffle. There's, like, these Korean bakeries back home where I'm from in Atlanta where they do, like, these fucking fluffy-ass, amazing Belgium, Belgium-style waffles. And then they put, like, this amazing whipped cream and matcha powder and green tea ice cream and all this, like, fruits and shit on top. And they're fucking amazing. And then you think about, oh, but you can also, like – Think about an ice cream cone. You get a waffle cone on it. That's a waffle there, and then you think about uh, like just all the all the things you can do with waffles, and it just extends so far beyond a breakfast item. So while pancakes, I think, are probably my go-to in a general sense, waffles have so much versatility. It's a great breakfast item, but it can also be used in a in a in a savory sense or a dessert sense. And I think I think that really gives waffles an upper hand that that I hadn't considered before. Is that they're not only so delicious, um, but where they really kind of have the upper hand for pancakes is that they're so damn versatile and that's uh I think that's really the takeaway for this whole episode and if it weren't for the fact that I'm obligated to tell you about the news I would probably just stop right there but I do appreciate that comment. Our next one here comes from our OG commenter Mr. Dead Captain James who says "Unpopular opinion, Halo 4 was my favorite, Halo 5 was the best for multiplayer." Dead Captain James, I don't You know unpopular opinion who cares that was a great take it's a beautiful take and i appreciate you commenting as i always appreciate you commenting and and mostly i'm just really glad to see someone giving 343 halo some love because i think 343 was tasked with like the biggest the the most like the most daunting task of all time which is carry the torch that bungie handed to you of halo and and just bring it into the future make it great and i don't I don't envy anyone who has to, you know, follow up a game like Halo 3 or a game like Halo Reach. So, the fact that Halo 4 was not only a great game but just offered in my opinion the most compel- I agree with you completely. The most compelling story in a Halo game is amazing. I I just think, you know, Halo 3 is this grand climax. It's this grand finale of this of this game trilogy that's all about this massive large-scale battle war between, you know, the human the human race and these various alien factions that's come together under one like religious kind of tyrannical force that's just so overpowered by by comparison of the humans and to see that kind of come to a close in this big finale with all this action and all all these plot points being tied up and all these loose ends kind of coming together for this massive finale that was Halo 3, I think the coolest way you could have possibly followed that up, especially after the large gap left between Halos 3 and 4, is to say, okay, now we're gonna, to evolve Halo, we're actually gonna just dial everything back and zoom all the way in on what makes halo the most important which is this character story of like this man who's a machine and this machine that's a human and this this cortana master chief story that they did in halo 4 i think is just so so ingenious it's it's my favorite story in the halo universe i just i really love that through line of of cortana just being this 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 computer ai that's just so emotive and capable and advanced that she's basically just a human and of Master Chief being this you know this biological from birth human being that's just been modified and fucked with and mentally just just manipulated and twisted and and used his entire life that he might as well just be the robot and just kind of exploring that weird like isolation feeling between Cortana and Chief and that they kind of only have each other, and they're stuck out in the middle of nowhere on this mission. And it's just kind of about how one isn't really themselves without the other, because hey, like Chief needs his Chief needs his humanity that like he gets him from Cortana, and Cortana kind of justifies her utility as you know as a computer as a tool from Chief and in, in his militaristic kind of you know just. See, see problems solved with guns and militaristic force and and just kind of seeing them rely on each other in those ways and just be so human and in, in need of each other is just such an amazing story. And on top of that, it really busts open the Halo universe at the same time by making the Forerunner go from, like, this this thing that you just kind of hear whisperings about to, like, this thing that really is at the front and center of the Halo universe and to see how, you know, the actions of the, the Forerunner and, and everything are... I could go on forever. I just think Halo 4 is such an incredible story that it doesn't matter what you think about the balance of the multiplayer or the opinions to add permanent run or all these things. It's like you can have your opinions about that, but when it comes from the story of Halo 4, it's just objectively the best Halo's ever been. I love it. And then I also agree with you that Halo 5 has the best multiplayer. I think Halo 5's multiplayer, you know, whatever you think about the campaign, Halo 5's multiplayer is so fully realized, It's so fleshed out, It's so fine-tuned. Everything is so perfectly just balanced. It feels like the most modern, beautiful representation of what Halo multiplayer can be, and I love that so, so much. Halo 3, always going to be my favorite overall package for a Halo game. That combination of its multiplayer and its campaign together, it's just it's got my nostalgia by the balls and it's such a great package all all together in one but man halo four and five individually those two just like if you could mash halo four and five into one package that's got to be my favorite that would that would be my favorite halo game i just think 343 does not get enough respect for you know how hard they worked to really you know make halo their own while also really giving the fans what they want and deserved in that franchise and I appreciate your comment because, goddamn, do I love me some uh, 343 Halo. Wrapping up with the comments here, I swear to God, this this isn't going to be an entire episode of comments. But our next one is from Mr. Lethal Migraine, who pops in again. It says, it was reported in April that the Xbox Series X was already in production. If that's legit, they need to release those things in August or September, then drop the S a week or two before Black Friday. So I saw, apparently... Murmurings that apparently it was always supposed to be, or actually we'll just, we'll, we'll read. Surugi replies to de- to Lethal Migraine and says, I did see an article suggesting that the Xbox Series X was initially due to release in August, but it was pushed because of COVID. Shame if it's true because I seriously doubt Sony would have been ready to ship in August to try and compete. So this is an interesting report that I'm not too familiar with. For, first things first, production of the Xbox Series X beginning in April. I don't doubt that. I don't know if it's true, but I don't doubt it if it is true because that's actually pretty normal. These, these consoles in terms of like their specs and their final designs are pretty, much locked in like around a year or so before the boxes come out so it's not improbable to think that if they were planning on releasing this thing in the fall that they had it locked in and ready for production by late spring mid late spring so I'm yeah that doesn't surprise me one bit if that's true but I don't necessarily think that making or producing these units by April means that they were intended to be released in August although that being said you know I don't know too much about every big tech company's process of you know manufacturing to shipping but I know Microsoft is usually pretty good about like starting production late and getting things out the door still like the Surface Duo their new phone they're working on that I'm cannot fucking wait for it to finally come out Is like still not fully being in produced right now but the the rumor is that that phone's going to be out in the next month so I I don't know how Microsoft does it I guess when you're as big as Microsoft you get top priority at these at these production facilities but yeah I mean I don't I don't I can't really speak to that that idea that you know the xbox series x was originally supposed to be out in august i think it's kind of interesting if that's the case and it kind of makes sense if it is because that seems like xbox trying to again get the upper hand on sony by having more of an xbox 360 reminiscent kind of release than a an xbox one release where the xbox one released within days of the ps4 but the xbox 360 released about a year over a full year before the ps3 and i think that those extra months really made up so much of the difference in why 360 was so successful last generation. And if they could do that again, this this generation or, you know, these consoles, that would be another big win for them where they'd be able to say, we're the most powerful console, we're the most affordable console, we're the most consumer-friendly with game Pass and, and smart delivery, and we're out before the PlayStation 5. So basically, you know, once, if they were to do that, it's basically just saying like, if you buy a PlayStation 4, I'm not saying you're stupid, but you're probably a fucking idiot. So, it's it's all really good to have that on paper, but I don't know, man. I don't think COVID is what pushed this console back. I think what pushed us back, if anything, was was the need to get you know, some more fall releases prepped and ready to go. Um, but I mean, I could be dead wrong about that because Phil has said in the past that, you know, we won't let the production of games like Halo Infinite affect the release date of the box. You know, if Halo Infinite hypothetically got delayed, we'd still release the box when we release it. And that's just that. So I could be dead wrong, but that's some interesting insight if that's to be believed. There's no doubt in my mind, as Surugi says here, that COVID has, you know, the biggest impact on basically everything that's happening right now. Honestly, that's my biggest concern isn't even the Xbox Series X. I think the Xbox Series X is more than likely to come out this fall. The only thing that could really affect it would be, you know, the state of the economy would be, you know, people's ability to afford it since especially here in the United States, we have a government that's so fucking fixated on trying to make sure that we're all fucking dirt poor and out of homes and jobs um, so that our, our investors can afford to keep, they uh, keep being rich or whatever the fuck is happening. So that, that's that should be Microsoft's number one concern is that, are we going to release this box to a market of people that can't afford to buy it because everyone's fucking out of work and we're in a great depression and a housing crisis? That would be my bigger concern than, you know, beating Sony to the release by a couple months here or there, because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's about, can people even afford the thing you're making? Not, can we can we beat the competition by 90 days or whatever? So that that is the bigger concern here. The other thing is, I think if anything has a chance of falling through the cracks here, it's Halo Infinite. I think this whole work from home thing has probably been really straining on, on a team like 343 that's such a big team. And not to mention, they have multiple support studios working on this game, like Splash Damage. So the fact that these teams also have to work from home, this is a massive setback. And it would not surprise me if either Halo Infinite Gets delayed a little bit, or if they have to trim things to get get it to launch. Meaning that I wouldn't be surprised if like it launches with just like campaign and arena multiplayer, and then the battle royale mode, or the war zone mode, or the firefight mode, or whatever, or the forge mode, or whatever comes in a, in a couple more months because they weren't able to get everything out the door in time due to COVID. So that wouldn't surprise me as much. But our final comment here: problems were almost done, and this isn't a long one, so we won't we won't meander. For too long. Lethal Migraine again, my boy. I just like to read his comments. He, I, I like his comments, okay? Don't fucking judge. He says, Next gen will be the first time I don't buy a PlayStation. A very weak console comparatively. Showed no games I wanted to play. And most of what they did show is coming to Xbox and PC anyway. I want frames over graphical fidelity. And the uh, sixty, the sixty to, to one hundred and twenty FPS on Xbox over the majority thirty FPS games on PlayStation is how I want to play my games. Hell, my PC monitor does two hundred and forty FPS. I will be hooking up my Series X to that as well. Interesting, you said because I've been thinking about not buying a four K TV for my Xbox Series X and just buying a 4K monitor uh, with a high refresh rate and everything and just kind of plugging my Xbox up to my computer or to my my computer desk and just playing consoles at a at a computer like holding a controller and playing like a PC gamer but with a controller. I've been thinking about that just cuz I feel like that might be a more comfortable position to play in than to sit on a couch, but I don't know, I don't know. I'll probably just end up buying a TV, a new TV or yeah, I got I got I, I still have a 1080p TV. I got to get me a nice one for the Series X. So that's that's on the wish list right now. But yeah, I I agree with your sentiment. While obviously most of this comment is pretty, you know, subjective. That's that's your opinion. You're welcome to it. I kind of agree with you in some sense that like this is like one of the least enticing PlayStation launches I've ever seen. Too. I'm extremely excited for Ratchet and Clank and and Spider-Man Miles Morales. And if those games were on PS4, if they were cross generational, I would absolutely just play them on PS4 and then not buy PS5 for many years. I just wait for it to get cheap and then buy one. Um, But I, I agree. Other than those two games, I feel like. I feel like the Xbox Series X is just clobbering the PS5 by comparison of like value and what you're getting because you know I'm I'm also in a similar boat where I don't I always say I don't give a shit about graphical fidelity I want the game to look good but it, it doesn't have to look mind blowing but I, I'm in a similar boat where I'm I'm getting in the camp of like frame rates matter to me. Especially because, you know, right now I use a phone. I use a Razer Phone 2. That's one of the few phones on the market right now that can do a 120 FPS a, ref- a frame rate. Or, sorry, it has a 120 hertz refresh rate. And it's just kind of, that screen in general has just kind of opened my eyes to like how much I care about the screen quality and the fidelity of of my screen and so if i have a console that can't push a high frame rate and a tv that can't handle a good refresh rate and things like that it's really going to start hindering my enjoyment of next generation games cuz i think i think those are the things that make the difference right it's like can your tv support hdr and 4k and And 120, you know, can your console do 120 frames per second? Can your TV, does your TV have a high enough refresh rate? Because I think these are the things that really make next-gen feel next-gen, is the amalgamation of that rather than the game just having nicer graphics. You know, back in the PS2 PS2 days, it didn't matter if I was using a shitty TV leftover from 1994 or if I was using a brand-new tube TV from 2002. It's like the game looked good because the graphics were good, you know? There wasn't much else to it, but I feel like these days it is about the the combination of like the screen you're using and the, and the console performance and things like that. And so there's, there's just more factors to play, but I kind of agree that the PS five just with the exception of a few, few games, the PS five looks overall pretty, not bad. Just, it just doesn't speak to me personally enough for me to like have to get one day one. Um, but I think that I see that as a good thing. Cause I don't, need an excuse to buy another big expensive toy i would like to i would like to have an excuse to wait for it to drop in price uh as i did with my ps4 i waited until uh, uncharted 4 and horizon zero dawn were a thing before i went and pulled the trigger on that and i saved a bunch of money by waiting so probably do the same thing with the ps5 and that's going to do it for all of our comments shout outs whatever we're an hour into the show and all we've done is gone over comments and talked about why i love disney world so two things as always don't forget Uh, Don't be shy. Reply. Second of all, if anything about my talking and bantering about theme parks excited you, just remember, I'm. If enough of you guys say, if enough of you guys give me the thumbs up and the green light, we will we will switch this podcast into an Epcot fanboy podcast. We'll talk about '80s Walt Disney World all all over the place. If you want to do that, we'll we'll just make this podcast about. Listen, my dream podcast is not an Xbox podcast. It's a combination. It's an equal parts combination of. Fast food conversation, Sonic the Hedgehog, Halo, uh, Microsoft Surface, and 80s Disney Epcot in particular. Like if I could have a podcast just about those things only, oh my god, oh my god, this would be the the most enthusiastic podcast you'd ever hear in your life. But anyway, now we're we're gonna we're gonna jump away from the comments and questions, and and we're gonna talk about what I've been playing. But before I can tell you what I've been playing, I gotta tell you what I've been eating. And this week I have an exciting one for you. I, I found this recipe online to make homemade Philly cheesesteaks and I I wasn't I wasn't too big a believer and I didn't think it was going to yield the greatest sandwich of all time. You know, my my personal experience cooking is that I look for a recipe, I try it out, it's hit or miss. Sometimes it's pretty good, sometimes it's pretty bad, but these were like phenomenal Philly cheesesteaks. Let me tell you what. I can post a recipe of these if you're into it, but it's fantastic. Check out my Instagram if you want, my Instagram story if you need to see how these look, but it's an amazing Philly cheesesteak recipe with super simple all this shit you just throw it on a baking sheet you cook it you broil it you season it you chop it all up you throw some provolone you melt the cheese you mix it all up you get these hoagie rolls you butter them up you grill them a little bit fucking amazing and I got the air fryer the air fryer which I've talked about many times before on the show then you go to the grocery store you can buy either Arby's or Checkers fries in the frozen food aisle throw them in the air fryer tastes just as good as a drive through boom you serve them with your Philly cheesesteak it's fantastic I just had a Philly, the Philly cheesesteak is one of those sandwiches that I, I have such a deep love and, a pa- and passion for. Of course, I don't get mine with mushrooms because I'm not a heathen, um, but I love the bell peppers and the grilled onions and the provolone cheese. And even though it's already so fucking oily, and if you did your hoagie roll right, you buttered it and and and, um, and you grilled it a little bit to make it crispy and buttery and warm, but I, I still say... I don't give a shit. There's all this oil from the the meat and the cheese and the in the butter or the oil, the cooking oil. But throw some mayonnaise on there too. Fucking go all out. Make it a fucking cardiac arrest sandwich. I love it. You just, uh, oh man, so such a good sandwich. And and I never have them enough because especially since I moved here to Orlando. I don't know where the hell you go to get a good Philly cheesesteak, you know? And I'm super excited to have this recipe now under my belt. I think this will be an excellent way uh, alongside with my chicken, my air-fried chicken wings and my frozen pizzas and everything and my Taco Bell. This will be a great way to accelerate uh, my journey to um, heart disease and just fucking delicious. Shout out to the Philly cheesesteak. Shout out to the recipe I used this week, although I don't remember the name of the website, uh, but just a generic shout out into the ether gotta love the Philly cheesesteak. Let me know what you think about hot subs, hot sandwiches. What, what's your go to? I, I, I do love that Philly cheesesteak. And now we will quickly go over what I've been playing this week. It has been a halo week. I had a three day weekend due to the holiday. We had a, we had a little bit of a holiday here in the in the states this past week. Uh, it's, it didn't feel like a holiday because I stayed inside the entire time uh, due to COVID. And I checked Twitter and just everyone was yelling at each other, calling everyone a racist because I guess that's what the world's come to these days. So it didn't feel like a holiday, but I still had a great day because I tuned the world out and... Replayed all of Halo Wars 2 in one day, and or all of the main campaign. I, I did all the DLC the next day. I'm not I'm not that crazy, but yeah, I played through all of Halo Wars 2 over that weekend, and, and a little bit of Master Chief Collection. I played some Halo 4 multiplayer. Um, but yeah, Halo Wars 2. It's the first time I played it since the game came out. It's the first time since I played the campaign since the game came out. And I, I gotta say, first of all, obviously I was doing this because I wanted to refresh myself with the story of the Banished, and as I get excited over Halo Infinite. But goddamn, Halo Wars 2 is such a good game. Not only from a narrative perspective, where the cutscenes are beautifully done by by Blur Studios, and the story is awesome. The Banished are such a badass faction of enemies, and Atriox is such a badass villain. And I think Fire, you know, the Spirit of Fire and the whole team, the Spartan team, and the ODSTs. And everyone in that story is just so cool. I, I love Alice and Jerome. They're awesome Spartans. I love, I love Cutter and and all all the Spirit of Fire team. I just think it's such a such a great cast of characters and honestly such a fucking cool story. It's a, I, I love that that follow up or that continuation of the OG Halo Wars story and the whole like them finding a new Halo ring and then the the spoiler alert at the end where where they come in contact with the Guardians and just. I, I just such a such a fucking cool game, honestly. And, and the level variety is so interesting for an RTS. It's not just as simple as like build a base, destroy the enemy base, level over. There's so much variety in the formula of 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 the uh, RTS genre in that game. There's just so many levels where they just you just do different things, different kinds of objectives, different kinds of twists on the formula of, of the traditional RTS. And I just think it's such a replayable and fun game, criminally underrated, man. I think I think that's pretty well known that that game did not sell very well, uh, which is just such a shame, you know, because it's it really is fun. I think Halo Wars is such a great sub-franchise. You know, they took Halo was, of course, famously supposed to be an RTS to begin with, and then it ended up being a first-person shooter instead, and I just think it's so cool that they kind of went back and were like, oh, well, we are going to make the RTS Halo game, and that was Halo Wars 1, and the fact that I ever even got a sequel is just so cool to me, but that's what I played this past week. And with that all said, we will jump into our news our first story here and our biggest story of the week that really doesn't have too much for us to divulge is that Microsoft has announced that the Xbox Series X Games Showcase for July will be hosted on Thursday the 23rd, meaning I'll be at work, so I won't be able to see it until after I get home. But during the live stream, Xbox will showcase a variety of first-party titles headed for the Series X, including the game that we all really care about, Halo Infinite. The stream will begin at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, the only time zone that matters, and while and, uh, and uh, oh, uh, I already wrote this down apparently. I said, well, I'm at work because Microsoft hates me and no longer wishes to do their big summer events on Sundays like they used to. I already mentioned that. And so just interesting to see, of course, that this event will literally take place one day after Mixer shuts down, which is just funny as shit. It's like their way of saying, like, now we don't have to stream on Mixer. So, of course, don't expect there to be any kind of Mixer stream for this event because we will be 24 hours removed from the death of Mixer when this show takes place. But it's okay. We'll just uh, we'll cover that up with the excitement of Halo Infinite. And then also note that this podcast you're listening to will be delayed by one day that week to accommodate the event. Uh, you know, obviously, the show goes live every Thursday because I record on Wednesday nights. So I will record on Thursday night so it can go live on Friday so that we can accommodate all the news from the show. I will remind you of that again next week as we get closer to the event. But yeah, I mean, this there's not much to say about this story. This is obviously the big Xbox news that happened this week, but it's just setting a setting a date in place for this event. Obviously, the internet was lit up. People were super hyped and exciting, and now we're starting to see these potentially leaked schedule like lists of like, oh, this is what's going to be shown. This is what they're going to do at the show. I don't. I'm trying to avoid that stuff. I, I don't know if there's any legitimacy to any of it, but. Definitely exciting because uh, we've been waiting for this for so long and July is just such a big month for Microsoft where it's like, finally, we're going to see the games. That's the most important thing about your consoles. The games will play on it. Finally, we're going to see Halo Infinite, which is undoubtedly the most important thing happening uh, in the world right now, without a doubt. Of course, the rumor is we're going to get a release date and some more information on the Microsoft Surface Duo. So that's also very exciting. July is just a very exciting time for uh, Xbox fans and Microsoft fans alike. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I put this at the top because it's it's the big thing, but I don't really have anything to say other than the hype is definitely palpable. It seems like people are just super fucking pumped for this event, and there's a lot riding on Microsoft to really pull this thing off. I was talking with someone on, on Twitter this week about kind of the event, and he was he's saying how, like, he, he wants for Microsoft to win him over. He really wants the Xbox Series X to be a thing that makes him say, well, I have to have this thing, I can't I can't ignore it, and he's a PlayStation gamer, so I thought this was really cool that, you know, that's just like a little microcosm, a little example of how people are, like, genuinely, palpably excited about what Microsoft's doing, what Xbox is doing, and I think that's really important to note, because this is the first time Xbox as a brand has had the floor and had the attention of the games industry like this, arguably since, since the Xbox One was revealed, right, because... It seems like, you know, even though the Xbox One was a botched, you know, start, it came out the gate bruised and broken already. But basically the whole generation was just Phil Spencer starting from scratch, starting from where Don Matrix left the whole thing and saying, I'm going to have to build this brand up from a, a tarnished, beat up, disrespected brand to something people really revere and love again. And and that's really exactly what he's done. And I've, I I, mean, I'd, I'd argue that the Xbox One generation has been pretty fantastic overall because because of phil spencer and because of his team and because of the way they've turned everything around the narrative surrounding the xbox one but in a lot of ways it was just too little too late for the masses what's really exciting about this is it feels like the general audience is really taking notice of the fact that microsoft has a new console and this new event with this new event with all these new games and everyone's excited or at least curious to see what's going on here and i think that's a really great opportunity because it means if Microsoft can really nail this and not fuck up, which I'm very confident they're going to nail it. But if, if they can really nail this, I think that's a great opportunity to get some lapsed Xbox gamers back on your platform. get Or at the very least, get people who are just constantly shitting on Xbox and laughing it out the door to at least take it a little more serious. And I don't need Xbox to be taken seriously because I need to be validated as a fan, but I, I just mean this as a fan of Xbox who wants to see the brand do well. You know, I want to see that Phil Spencer and his team's incredible hard work at Xbox is paying off and that they do well financially. So that Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft doesn't fucking cut off the Xbox brand like mixer or Zune or, or groove music or windows phone and just let it fucking sink to the bottom of the ocean. You know, I want to see the, the hard work from all these teams and, and, and Xbox and and just see it really come to fruition and capture an audience and make people really love Xbox again and make Xbox a really serious competitor to Nintendo and Sony and make people, you know, just take it serious as a, as a third competitor. Again, not because I need to be validated as a fan, but because I think I think this is too good of a brand and too good of a console and they're too good of exclusive games for for them to just not do well financially. And I and I understand Xbox does very well financially with or without, you know, the you know, despite the 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 woes of the Xbox One generation, Xbox as a brand is still very profitable. And I think Microsoft has every intention of keeping it around, but you don't want Xbox to do well and live in the shadow of PlayStation. You want it to do great and to really give the PlayStation a run for its money. And that's how you know it's a healthy and profitable brand. Isn't Isn't necessarily just by the amount of money it's pulling in at the end of the day, but also the amount of cachet the brand has and the kind of the respect it has as a brand. And, you know, not only having it be highly profitable and well-respected, but to have it be extremely profitable and to be kind of a ubiquitous brand that everyone loves and knows. And, that's what that's what Xbox is working to get to, and obviously that's the whole point of Project X Cloud and and Game Pass and and having Xbox available in different tiers that makes it more accessible for more audiences, but. I think this is a really important step of that, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how cheap your new console is, it doesn't matter how great of a deal Game Pass is, none of that fucking matters if your first party content isn't exciting and enticing and and captivating, and that's what this event's all about, it's saying, listen, people aren't going to give a shit about ever giving Series S a try, no matter how affordable it is, or giving Game Pass a free trial if they don't have an Xbox to play it on, if they don't have the urge or the temptation to go and buy an Xbox to begin with. And that's why we need Halo Infinite to deliver and whatever the coalition's working on... To, or Halo Infinite to deliver and whatever the initiative's working on to deliver and all these other studios and Everwild from uh, Rare and all, all these games, we just need to see them. We need to see, you know, that this is more exciting than what we got this past generation. We need to, we need to know that what we're about to get is leaps and bounds more interesting than Crackdown 3, you know? So... Lot writing on Microsoft, but I'm excited to see them pull it off. I'm very, very confident that this is going to be a great show. And I'm not saying that to drum up hype, uh, I'm saying that because. I would love to see you all get your hopes and dreams crushed if this doesn't go well. Our next story here is that shortly after our show went up this past week, this is a huge one, 2K Games announced that NBA 2K21 will retail for the standard $59.99 price tag on the Xbox One, the same price that games have been for the past 15 plus years. However, the Xbox Series X version of the game will retail for $69.99. This has, of course, sparked immediate concern throughout the games industry, as gamers expect everything to be cheap forever, but additionally, 2K Games confirmed that they will not be supporting smart delivery, saying that, quote, it's something we're interested in, but NBA 2K21 will not support smart delivery. In the days that followed the news of $70 games, research firm IDG Consulting said that they suspect that game publishers will consider the price increase for their games as well, suggesting that $70 may become the new standard for game pricing, beginning with the new console generation this fall. From IGN, speaking with GamesIndustry.biz, IDG President CEO Yoshi Osaki explained how game pricing has, quote, remained flat since 2005, whereas TV and movie prices have increased significantly. The last time that next-gen launch software pricing went up uh, was in 2005 and 2006, when it went from $50 to $60 at the start of the Xbox 360 PS3 generation, Osaki says. During that time, the costs and prices in in uh, other affiliated verticals, have, have gone up significantly. These other aff- affiliated verticals include next-gen console game production costs, which have seen increases of 200-300%, to 300%, depending on the IP, studio, and game genre, without the increase of price of games. For comparison's sake, cinema ticket prices for movies have risen 39%, Netflix subscription costs have gone up 100%, and cable TV packages have risen 105%. Even with the increases to $70 for next-gen games, the price Increase from 05 to 2020 next gen is only up by about 17%, far lower than the other comparisons. Osaki continued. While the costs of development and publishing have gone up, uh, and pricing in other entertainment verticals has also gone up substantially. Next gen software pricing has not reflected the increases. Sixty dollars to seventy dollars does not cover these other cost increases completely, but does move in. Uh, but does move it more in the proper direction, end quote. He concludes by stating that not every game should garner the $70 price point on next-gen consoles, but flagship AAA games uh, such as NBA 2K merit the pricing more than others. So this is, uh, first of all, Mr. Osaki here got into a lot of what I was going to say, but I saw his quotes and he said a lot more eloquently than I would have. So I felt it necessary to include this, but this is a huge deal. And I think it's something that's been brought up on the show before, but I've been a firm believer of for a long time that I, I, I didn't know that games were, I, I mean, I'm not an insider. I don't fucking know, but I wasn't confident for a fact that game prices were going to go up this generation, but I was confident that bumping up game prices was the right move. And I guess we don't know that it was the right move yet. Cause it hasn't, officially happened yet but we know that it's going to happen and so this doesn't surprise me and i'm actually this is in my opinion this is actually great news i'm really excited to see this happening and i know that's that's that might turn some of you off or upset some of you guys but i actually think this is really really important because you you had to think about how <laughs> how much i mean osaki gets into all of it here so i, I there's not much too much for me to say but it, it's exactly what he's talking about which is the fact that people act like video games are so goddamn expensive but Go back in time to like the NES days and go back to the N64 days and and things like this where, first of all, games didn't have an industry standard. There were games that were 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 80 bucks. Games varied wildly in pricing. And nowadays, you know, it's as simple as like if you are a main release, whether it be AAA, AA, whatever, your game is going to be $60. That's it. You know, I don't give a shit if you're fucking Red Dead Redemption 2 or fucking Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, which are... Like, vastly different games. One is a remake of some old PS1 games, and one is, like, the most ambitious, large-scale, open-world video game ever made in the history of humankind. And both of them are just randomly worth 60 dollars which is you know and i don't think games should be priced according to the amount of time you can spend in it or whatever but it's the fact that you think about the budgets of these games and how expensive it is to make a game in 2020 compared to like 2004 you think about a game like the original like god of war which is a game that was like famously made in like what 8 to 16 months somewhere in that range it's like this this isn't how games were made anymore. You know, NES games used to be made in like four to twelve weeks. It's like that's that's not how games work. Games are a way bigger deal than even movies. You think about movies; it's it's not unusual to see like the biggest summer blockbuster has a budget of like two hundred million dollars. It's like that's not that's not that unheard of. To be honest, we see movies with three hundred thousand dollars three or three hundred yeah three three hundred million dollar budgets and shit like that. It's not that uncommon, but those movies make their money back. And a big way movies make their money back is of course through merchandising as well. But in the games industry, these games are like, on average, more expensive than movies. You know, you think about your average movie, which is like a $100 million or something to make, whatever. And it's just fucking mind-blowing that you know, these movies are made, and movies are is a bad example because it's bullshit, the reason why they're so expensive to make. They're expensive to make because Hollywood's up their own ass insisting on filming in expensive locations and because actors and producers and directors and writers are so self-important that they all have to make absurd quantities of money to do what they do, which, you know, I don't give a shit. That's, uh, if you can make that much money doing what you do, more, more power to you. But, like, you think about that, it's like, the reason why those things are expensive is because people are self-important and deserve a lot of money in those in those respective roles. But you think about gaming, it's like the reason why gaming is is expensive isn't because I mean game developers and game studios that make successful games do make good livings. Game developers are paid handsomely, you know, for for games. You know, people who worked on games like Call of Duty and Red Dead Redemption make great money, I'm not going to lie about that, but it's because these teams are fucking massive and requires so many artistic disciplines to come together to make one project. And they require years and years and years. You can't just go on site and film a video game for four or six months and be done with it and then just post-process and edit the whole fucking thing in two months and throw out a trailer and there you go you have your millionth fucking marvel movie of the year that's not how movies that's not how games work it's like someone there's so much pre-production and writing and developing and coding and people build engines just for games and then there's art there's like seven thousand types of art disciplines and sound design and qa and voice actors and mocap and all these things that go into making games and that's why that's why games have gone from oh it takes a year to make a game to it takes Five years, six years to make a big AAA game. That's why you don't see, that's why we used to get Grand Theft Auto 3, San Andreas, and, and Vice City within a couple years of each other because they were easy to, they were comparatively super easy to make. But now you think of a game like Grand Theft Auto 5, it's like, holy shit, we're not gonna get Grand Theft Auto 6 until our grandchildren have grandchildren because these games take forever to make. Yet gamers just sit back and have this mentality that, like, fucking ridiculous, $60 for a brand new game, that's fucking bullshit listen, I'm sensitive to the fact that not everyone is just loaded with fucking extra cash, walking around, ready to blow on whatever they want, and I understand that there are a lot of gamers out there that are young, I remember what it was like being a young gamer, where I was too young to have a job, and I always wanted to play this game, or this game, and I just didn't have access to it, because I didn't have money, and my parents weren't just pumping me with whatever I wanted, you know, it was like, I, I understand that, that, that plight, if you will, I understand that sentiment, and, and I'm sensitive to it, I understand it sucks, I remember like being a kid, it's like, oh wow, literally my only opportunity is to play a new game or Christmas and birthday or if one of my brothers just so happens to buy a game that I already really want to play and then I can play because they have it you know but th- the fact of the matter is games are cheaper than ever before you when you take into consideration inflation and you think about like fucking Red Dead Redemption 2 costing $60 in 2018 compared to like a fucking like Final Fantasy games on the PlayStation 1 that cost like $70 whatever you're paying substantially more money back in the 90s for those games than what you pay today. When you think about, you know, Gears of War 1 that came out on the Xbox original in 2006 and you compare it to, like, a game that comes out in 2020, like The Last of Us Part 2, like, the the profit margin on that Gears of War game, which also took half the time to make, is substantially higher. You know, like, when you take into account inflation, a game that costs, like, $60 in 2020 money is, like, the equivalency of a game that costs, like, 45 45 49 in 2006 money. So it's 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 the fact that like games are more expensive than ever than ever before. They take way more manpower, way more time than ever before. There's so many more disciplines that go into making a game now than ever before. Yet we just expect the price to stay flat the whole time. It's like this is why this generation was plagued as the generation about loot boxes and season passes and and all this bullshit and in-app purchases and all this crap because these publishers knew if we ask for seventy dollars eighty dollars for a brand new game then people are just gonna have a bitch fit so we need to find ways to make money and that's and that's why everyone went the way of like the season pass and the in-app purchase and I am totally sy- sympathetic to that to the why publishers did that you know it's like they they're gonna fucking be shit on i mean and, and the way that's happened has changed dramatically throughout this generation you know early in this generation it was always about like buy the season pass now and get this expansion this expansion you don't see that as much anymore nowadays it's all about like the multiplayer has various seasons and you, and you can buy like a new season every two months and it's all about like cosmetic in-app purchases and shit like that. It's a very different landscape and and, and publishers keep having to get creative with these things because they need to make money somehow and i'm not i'm not saying you know 2k and activision ea oh boohoo they're just not making any money it's so unfair to them like these people are making hand over fist money make no bones about it but when you're an investor when you are a publisher and you're going to put money into a creative project you want to know that you're going to get a decent return on investment and it's much harder to green light a 200 million dollar video game when you don't know that you're going to make all that much money back knowing that not only the amount of money it's going to cost up front to fund a game like that but to know how long it's going to take to get that return investment right you know in a movie it's easy to justify a similar budget because you know that movie's in production for like 1 to 2 years max right but for a video games it's a totally different story because that, like think about those avengers movies like those those movies are incredible feats of of cgi incredible acting pretty great writing pretty awesome action and choreography and amazing CGI and those movies are shit out in like 5 seconds it's fucking amazing you know they have they they make those movies like back to back to back and they just keep coming out can you imagine if you had That equivalency in the games industry, like if you just had Red Dead Redemption 2, 3 and 4 come out within like three years, it's fucking impossible. And so when you're 2K, you know you're going to make hand over fist money from a new Red Dead game, but it's also hard to be like, we're going to shell out hundreds hundreds of millions of dollars for this project but we know we won't see a return on investment for like another 6 years and that's a hard pill to swallow when you're the one putting out the money and i know it's easy for consumers to be like oh boo hoo they make hand over fist money because you're not sympathetic to the rich people who have to give out money you know but you but when you think about it it's it's not about being sympathetic to them it's about understanding their position and i think if i were in a similar position i'd i'd feel pretty similar that's like do I want to give you all this money for for that I won't I won't see any of it back for X amount of years and it's like what if you know who knows what the industry looks like in six years when this game finally comes out who knows if this genre is still in vogue who knows if if this fucking studio doesn't get me too'd and then everyone hates them and boycotts the game who knows if like you you know you'd never fucking know in this industry especially when gamers are as finicky as they are so it's just such a it's such a crazy concept to me that people really take umbrage with this this price increase. And, I, and again, I am sympathetic to the fact that, you know, to some people it's like $70. I'm not saying $70 is nothing, you know, $70 is a lot of money. But in the same breath, when you really consider it like $70 for a game like Red Dead Redemption 2, $70 for a game like Halo Infinite... I will gladly pay that. I think, if anything, I just wish that games were willing to explore the pricing structure more broadly. I love, you know, I talked about Disintegration the other the other week. I love that Disintegration, that V1 Interactive, and that Private Division Publishing were willing to say, hey, we think this game is a great $50 game. It's made by a team of 30 people. It has... A decent eight-hour campaign, uh, a kind of run-of-the-mill multiplayer suite, but, you know, something too groundbreaking, but at the same time, it's a full package, and, and we stand by that it's worth at least 50 bucks. But yeah, we we recognize that it's not, you know, the biggest, most polished, high-quality, high-fidelity game of the year $60 package, and I love that there are publishers and studios out there willing to explore the the pricing tier and I wish we did that more. I I don't think it's I don't think it's ridiculous at all. If a game like Red Dead Redemption 2 came out and was like this game is $90. This game is $100 because you think about it, it's like I mean it is. I spent 50 I spent like 55 hours playing Red Dead Redemption 2 and walked away from it saying I've never had an experience like that in a video game ever. That that was the most next generation experience I ever had in a video game. And it's, it's not my favorite game in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but it was one of the most memorable and full and complete experiences I've ever had playing a video game, period. And I can't help but notice at during every second of that playthrough, how much fucking hard, painstaking work went into so many facets of that game, and I could never even begin to fathom what it would be like if I had to—if I had to be responsible for anything that went into that game. I could never do a single goddamn thing that went into making that game. It's an amazing feat of artistic talent and creative vision. And to just be like, nah, fuck it, $60, everything's $60, I don't give a shit if it took seven years, I don't give a shit if it took thousands of people to make it, I don't give a shit if it took, you know, the work of million, of thousands of artists coming together to create, like, some fucking symphony of, like, artistic creation on a fucking PlayStation 4 disc, $60, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous, developers and publishers, I think, should, should be more liberated and encouraged to just be like, hey, this is what we think this product is worth and we're just going to put it out there at that price. And you tell us if it works or not by either buying the game or not buying the game. But I think it's pretty fair to say that When you spend $60 on a game like fucking Evolved, that game from Turtle Rock Studios that came out early in the generation, you're like, $60 for this half-baked multiplayer game? That's bullshit. That game should have been like $30 or $40 tops. I think $30 would have been the sweet spot, plus the in-app purchases that it had. I think that's a great place for that game. And then you play a game like Red Dead Redemption, you're like, this is only $60? Are you kidding me? It's just such an unfair standard to hold every game to across the board as if all games are created exactly equally. It's just not fair. And so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the $70 increase just for the fact that we need to pump some more money into these studios and, and so that, you know, publishers are willing to take bigger risks so that people feel more confident in going big with their games. And I also think that maybe sometimes games are a little too big and we need to be willing to scale some games back. Maybe not everything needs to be the size of Witcher three or, or Red Dead Redemption two, but I don't know, I, I like that these conversations, or at least in some form or fashion, are starting to be had. The the other big thing here is that smart delivery is not supported on NBA 2K21, which is kind of all but confirming that, at least for now, 2K is not taking smart delivery serious, which is a big loss for Xbox and, and something we need to... Th- this is going to be what makes or breaks smart delivery as a feature, is who supports it and who doesn't. And we already know some people aren't supporting it. EA isn't supporting it. Um, we know now 2K isn't supporting it, and these are some... Really big publishers, so that's not good. Last last note on this, Lethal Migraine had a comment. I thought I'd plug it in here instead of at the top of the show because it's related to this story in particular. He says, it came out today that next-gen NBA 2K is going to be $70. If next-gen games are going to cost more, Game Pass and Xbox are going to look even better to consumers. I think this is a great point and I hadn't even considered it until you wrote this, Lethal Migraine, but that's exactly right. Game Pass is going to look so incredible. Again, that's why so much rides on this this July event in a few weeks because if the games look incredible, if, if what you see is, wow, Halo Infinite looks amazing and Everwild looks amazing and whatever Obsidian's working on looks amazing and the next Gears game looks amazing, whatever fucking all these studios are working on look like excellent games and wow, Xbox is a really powerful console and wow, it's more affordable than PlayStation. Oh, it comes out this soon and wow, it's just what a great package overall and then you're you're throwing the curveball of oh and games are going up by ten dollars a game now oh but if you have xbox you just buy game pass and you just get all the games for a monthly subscription service and it's like shit why am i not buying an xbox again i don't want to pay more money for games i don't want to i don't want to you know play on an inferior powered console that's just as expensive enough more so this is this is actually a great opportunity for xbox to capitalize because If we see this happen in the coming months, that Activision's like, yeah, our games are 70 bucks, EA, our games are 70 bucks, everyone, you know, Bethesda, our games are 70 bucks, PlayStation, our games are 70 bucks on PlayStation 5, and then Microsoft's like, yeah, our games are 70 bucks on Xbox, but just get Game Pass instead and don't pay for any of them, and it's like, shit, shit. God damn Microsoft, is there anything you can't do? And then we all give Phil Spencer a pat on the back and we, and we ice him with a, with, a, with a beer and we tell him to chug it and he chugs it and he's all our bro and then we f- turn our hats backwards and, and, we, and, we, and we cheer because we're all a bunch of frat boys. And that's, that's what we're looking at here. So our next story... Uh, playing, Coming back to that Warner Bros. story from a few weeks ago, it was reported, of course, uh, not too long ago, that, uh, that that's a you know report suggesting that AT&T was looking to pot- potentially sell off Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment in an effort to reduce their debt. Originally, it seemed that Ubisoft and Activision were included as potential buyers, but now reports are surfacing that Microsoft is also an interested party. The possibility of Microsoft acquiring WB Interactive makes sense, considering that the company has been on a game dev buying binge in recent years to beef up their first party offerings. If acquired, Microsoft would gain the talent of studios such as Rocksteady, NetherRealm, Monolith, and Avalanche Software. I had to add that in for myself. If the new report, uh, if this new report from the information is to be believed, Microsoft could be on the verge of massively increasing their already impressive lineup of first-party studios. So this stu- this this story was making the rounds and kind of going nuts, especially in the Xbox community, understandably so, but there's really not too much to it. It's just kind of like this vague notion from, from the information and outlet I've never heard of before. Um, That's not to say they're not big, I just haven't heard of them. Um, but basically just kind of saying that Microsoft is reportedly an interested buyer. So I guess... You know, just from that vagueness, it seems like they're no more or less interested, as far as we know, than than Ubisoft is or than Activision is. So I don't know how much of you know an upper hand they have on the other potential buyers to to swoop in and get this acquisition. But this would be a massive get for Microsoft. And I remember, I, I mean, I know the other week I was saying, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope Microsoft doesn't buy them. I hope I hope this isn't a thing. But the more I think about this, the more it's like I don't know. I kind of I kind of want to double down on my thing that Microsoft should not buy this because my my first thing is Microsoft, you know. A few years ago when they bought all these new studios, they went on a, a massive binge and they more than doubled their their studio count. And that's great. But I think now is the time for Microsoft to, to put these studios to the test and to stop throwing the money around, right? This isn't Mixer. Stop giving Ninja millions of dollars for a service you know isn't going to be saved by him alone. So don't go off and just buy, spend all this money on WB when you don't even know that Compulsion Games... Or any or Undead Labs or any of these other studios you just you just acquired are really gonna turn things around for you. So let's first make sure that all these new people you got under your belt are really gonna you know bring in the money and really gonna kick up the fire and 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 make your lineup of first party content really enticing. In, in, right. So. I don't know, the I, the idea of, like, if it was, like, one of these studios, if it was, like, they're selling off their studios and Microsoft bought NetherRealm or Monolith, you know, that's, like, that's one thing, but the fact that it's, like, they're going to buy the whole thing and they're going to get Rocksteady, NetherRealm, Monolith, Avalanche, all these guys all in one swoop, it's, like, that's a, dude, that's a big buy, you know, it's, like, you you have all, you have, like, what, like, six studios that you just acquired that haven't, that have yet to put out, a game under the Microsoft ownership after under the subsidiary of Microsoft, they have yet to put out a game for you guys exclusively yet. And, and you're already looking to acquire like another handful of studios, like slow your roll. I don't, I just don't want to see this become a thing where like, Microsoft is buying, 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 and then in two years when they realize, oh, shit, we bought too much, that's like, okay, well, Compulsion didn't do a great job with their next game, so we'll close them, and Undead Labs, they kind of suck, we'll close them, and, you know, stuff like that, We, I definitely don't want to see that become the case, so I want to make sure that, or I'm just hoping that as a Microsoft fan here, as an Xbox fan, and as a fan of people maintaining their careers and their livelihoods, that this is Microsoft's Deliberately picking studios that they truly believe in and see potential in, rather than them just buying to look big and 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 uh, reverent by comparison of PlayStation. That's and that's just that's the thing here. And to me, jumping into this purchase would would kind of just say that they're buying to buy. They're buying to to have that 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 development arm that strength over Sony. Saying, listen, I don't know if any of these guys are going to make us a Last of Us Part Two or a God of War Twenty Eighteen, but we have so many studios that one of them's bound to make a hit so fuck you we got all the we got all the the leverage over you and I, I i don't think that's what their intention is but that's almost what it comes across as if this is something they're seriously considering the other part is as i brought up the other week does this does this entail the ip does this mean if if they buy wb interactive entertainment they not only get rocksteady but the batman license so that they can make arkham games does this mean that they not only get avalanche software but the harry potter license so they can make this rpg they not only get Monolith, but they also get the Lord of the Rings IP, and then of course Netherrealm. I assume they get Mortal Kombat with that because Netherrealm or WB owns Mortal Kombat, not not WB in general. So I, I, I'm i I'm confident that they they they'd at least get Mortal Kombat, which is a huge get. But then on top of all of that, you also have the problem where it's like okay, a studio like Avalanche or Monolith, I can see like a world where it's like whatever they're working on next, it's Xbox exclusive. You can make that swing. You can swing that. But if Netherrealm's working on the next Mortal Kombat and Injustice game, as they always are, and if Rocksteady's is working on the next Batman Arkham game, which we know they are, or if WB Montreal is working on the next Batman game, which we know they are, it's like, okay, well, you're going to piss off a lot of people by being like, okay, these games are just not on PlayStation anymore. Fuck it. These are all just Xbox exclusives, Xbox and PC only. And it's like, I don't know how you get away with that. I, I just don't think that's such a great move optically it kind of makes xbox look look like a bunch of assholes if they're like okay xbox didn't have the first party support so they just went and bought a third party game and and made part four or five uh, part four of a series exclusive to their brand and i i agree it's like that's That's not really what we're, I don't really think that's what we're looking for, right? Like, if you're going to buy Rocksteady, you buy them because they're not working on WB properties anymore. They're working on a new original IP, or they're reviving a pre-existing IP that's unrelated to WB, right? And now you can have them make an exclusive Xbox PC game as an Xbox subsidiary, not, you know, making the fourth entry in the Batman Arkham series and just saying, fuck you, PlayStation, enjoy parts one through three, part four is only on Xbox. I feel like that's just kind of a shitty move, right? Can you imagine Mortal Kombat being an Xbox exclusive? That one's actually kind of a kind of a cooler get, I, I feel like, where it's like, you know, Mortal Kombat's one of those things where it's like, it, it's not like you need to play Mortal Kombat 9 and 8 and 7 to understand Mortal Kombat 11 or 12 or whatever one's... I think 12 is the next one, right? But at the same time, it's like... Nev- Mortal Kombat is a series that's so famously known for its history on Nintendo and Sega and PlayStation. So it's like, it's just be so weird if one day... Mortal Kombat's an exclusive to Xbox. It'd almost be like the Minecraft thing where it's like they're kind of obligated to just keep it multi-platform because you'd be a big asshole if you just were the guys who made, like, oh, I know Xbox. Those are the guys that made it so that we can't play Mortal Kombat anywhere but Xbox. Like, you know, that's kind of a bad image and you don't really want that. So what are you buying these studios to do? Are you buying them to piss people off so that you can just make these pre-existing IPs and, and game franchises exclusive to Xbox or are you just buying the talent so you can have them make new games under the Xbox banner. Like, what are you, what are you getting at here? And I just feel like in either direction, it's kind of a bad move. Where it's like, I don't, I don't want to see Microsoft just spend big money on WB so they can just middle finger Sony with Batman and Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, you know. And I don't want to see them buy new studios just to spend money even though we know Rocksteady's a great studio we know Netherrealm's a great studio we know Monolith's a pretty good studio and Avalanche as much as most people don't give a shit or know about them I think they're a great studio they're one of my favorite studios in fact and they'll always be for their work on Disney Infinity so these are like you know it's keep that in mind I'm a huge fan of Avalanche software like one of my my dream job would be to work at a video game studio and honestly my top two favorite studios to work at would be either Avalanche in an imaginary world where Disney Infinity is still around or 343 working on Halo. Like that would be my dream job. And I'm still kind of against the idea of Microsoft buying the studio, even though uh, like how amazing does that sound? My favorite game dev and my favorite game publishing arm. And they, they're all together under one. But like, even that I still just can't get behind it. Cause I'm like, what is the idea here? What would you want? Avalanche for? if Avalanche isn't working on Harry Potter or another WB owned franchise what do you want Avalanche for? Because they're not too well proven. They worked on Disney Infinity and some movie tie-in license games and that Tack and the Power of Juju series on, like, the GameCube from back in, like, the old Nickelodeon days on PS2 GameCube era. So, like, what do you want with those guys? They're not, they're not, they haven't proven anything, like, too miraculous that you need to go drop $4 billion to acquire them. So, is that like a studio Microsoft would just fold instantly if they had them, like, just fold them into other pre existing teams and Rocksteady. I get wanting Rocksteady, they're an incredibly talented team. And I get Netherrealm. I think Lethal Migraine, or someone made the point a few weeks ago that, like, well, now that they don't have um Killer Instinct anymore, this would be a great way to have a fighting game under their belt again. It would be get Netherrealm, get Mortal Kombat. And I and I get that, but like, dude, if I had Netherrealm in our Xbox, I wouldn't want them to make Mortal Kombat, I want them to make something new or at least like keep Mortal Kombat multi-platform and then make a new fighter that's exclusive to Xbox. But even that gets so hairy. So again, I just... Maybe I'm overthinking this, but I'm I'm really not too keen on this idea of Microsoft potentially buying WB Interactive Entertainment. I think it's expensive. I think it's kind of unjustifiable. And maybe there's something I'm missing here, but I'm just overall I'm just not a huge fan of this. So I'm I'm kind of hoping this one doesn't pan out. But who, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Microsoft buys them. Maybe they all just make various Halo games, and it's the greatest thing in the world, and I'm the happiest boy. But I just I don't really see. Maybe I'm not seeing the forest through the trees here, but I just don't see the inherent benefit to buying this one. And I kind of think it's best left to uh, Ubisoft or an Activision or for them to just remain WB Interactive Entertainment, AT&T. Maybe you don't need to sell them, you fuckboys. Maybe gaming's a lucrative business and you don't need to offset your debt by selling off your game division, you fuckboys. But anyway, our our next story, we're going to move on. Our next story here is that popular Halo Halo YouTuber. I I just told you I don't follow Halo YouTubers, and now I'm telling you I do. Popular Halo YouTuber, Hidden X, X, Xperia, 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 whatever, I'm sure many of you know him, recently had legendary ex-Bungie audio directory director, director Marty O'Donnell on his show. And during the interview, we learned some new information regarding Bungie's relationship with Activision and Microsoft. So I know... Marty O'Donnell actually kind of commented out the other day, like, "Wow, slow news story, gaming outlets, because everyone was reporting on this." And I don't know if he was just being cheeky or, if, or if like he was actually kind of annoyed by the way this was picked up. But nonetheless, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it anyway. So directly from Windows Central, Marty O'Donnell says, "Quote in this video, because I was under the leader." Because I was in leadership, I was one of the board directors that we went, uh, that went with Activision. If there was any blame for going with Activision, I am a part of it, O'Donnell said. There were seven of us total, I think, and we made a deal with Activision. We knew it was a risk right from the get-go, and then it turned out to be exactly as bad as we thought it was going to be. I'm the only one who's going to say that, except everyone who no longer works for Bungie is going to say, yeah, it was bad from the start. The ex-composer claims that Bungie entered a deal with strict terms mandating control over the Destiny IP that ruled out several, quote, big players from publishing the title, including Microsoft. So basically, they're they're saying that uh, Bungie was very very adamant that whoever they go with for Bungie, they need to own the IP. And basically, Microsoft said, uh, we're going to own it if you go with us. And they said, no, thanks. We're not going with you, Microsoft. And so that's that's an interesting tidbit tidbit. We'll get into in a moment that he says, quote, the reason why we went Activision was not just the money, but it was because as part of the contract, they didn't own the IP. Now, remember, Microsoft owns the Halo IP, and we wanted to make sure whoever we work with next would not own the IP. And Activision agreed to all of that. All of the other big players uh, during that period would no long, would not agree to that, including Microsoft. It's very close to us making a serious, and then he says ellipses, sorry, the way he said this is, it's just directly translated from the way he says it, but he says, we almost went back to Microsoft, if you can believe it. Uh, And then the story just kind of ends off with Microsoft split with Halo developer Bungie in 07 as Bungie transitioned into a privately held independent company while the Halo brand stayed in house with Xbox. The alleged partnership would have drastically skewed the future Destiny, which instead enjoyed several limited time exclusives on PlayStation as an external for its Activision deal. So this is just a really insightful deal. And honestly, I, I know the point of the story is to kind of be like, oh well, Activision sucks, and they knew that Activision sucks from the get-go. I don't really think that's the big story here. I think everyone, a- anyone with like half a half a brain who knows anything about Activision knows that if you're going to work with Activision, it's probably going to be a shitty deal. They went for. It. They went for two reasons. They needed money and they needed to own the IP. And that, so they did what they had to do and ultimately worked out in the end because now they're completely independent and they own Destiny. So I think they made the right move regardless of whether or not it was, it was choppy and hairy back at the time. So whatever. I think the bigger story here is the whole they almost went with Microsoft thing. And that's because, you know, this is such an unfortunate thing where if Phil had just been in charge a little bit sooner, I think everything would be so different with Bungie. I think Bungie might be an Xbox studio to this day, you know, if, if Phil had been in charge back in, back in those days, because honestly, this is, this is just indicative of a different era of Microsoft, because we know Microsoft has changed and become more, you know, friendly to, to other developers and things like that, because we saw Insomniac have a similar situation as Bungie, where they said, hey, we want to make different IPs, but we don't want Sony to own them, because, Honestly, Microsoft was just kind of playing copycat to Sony, especially back in these days, where this is the thing that Sony's very famous for is that Sony's always always about, hey, whatever you do on our platform, if it's exclusive, we own the property. We'll we'll fund it, we'll publish it, whatever, but we need to own the IP. And that's why we got Sunset Overdrive on Xbox was because Insomniac wanted to own the IP. And Microsoft was the only one willing to say, Yeah, if you if you if you let us publish it, if you make it on Xbox exclusively, we'll let you keep the IP. And, you know, that's why Sony owns the Sunset Overdrive IP now that they bought Insomniac all these years later is because is because Microsoft let them keep the IP. And that's an example of, you know, the modern Microsoft versus what we're seeing here in the story, which is the old Microsoft, the Microsoft that said, hey, we keep Bungie or, or we keep Halo. You know, you can't, you can leave us, but we're keeping Halo. And they said, you know, we, we'll do Destiny with you, but we want to keep it. We won't, um, can you fucking imagine if they had like a Phil Spencer back in the, in these days in charge. I mean, I know Phil Spencer was at Xbox back then, but can you imagine if Phil Spencer was the, the top dog, the guy in charge back in these days? And he said, listen, Bungie, we want to keep you in house. We want to keep you with us. You've been a great partner. You've created some of the best games. You're pretty much responsible for why Xbox exists to this day. Listen, we will let you keep Destiny as long as you let us publish it, you let us fund it, and you let it be an Xbox game. Dude, can you imagine? Because Destiny... Destiny is like the poster child for this generation when I think about games, you know? You can say Fortnite... Or red Dead or whatever you want but when I think about you know what defines the ps4 Xbox one generation the first game that comes to my mind is destiny one it is the most it is the it is the game that I, not that fuels the next the most next gen but rather it describes what this generation was all about it was the open world shared multiplayer shooter with you know the the long-standing game that is a games as a service and that's really what this generation was all about and destiny kind of kicked that off when you really think about it it's, it's, it's less of like the let's play this game, move on to this game, move on to this game. It's, and it became the story of this is a game that's coming out in 2014 that we will play for years and years to come. This will be part of our life. We are not Xbox gamers who play Destiny sometimes. We are Destiny gamers that play on this platform. And, and and you know, with going with Activision, Sony got that marketing deal with them. And then Sony or Destiny got so intimately connected and marketing tied to PlayStation that it was kind of written off as a PlayStation game which is such a mind-boggling thing to think about now because I mean remember in 2013 and 2014 when we were seeing Destiny that this was so crazy this was Bungie this is this the team that basically made the Xbox and these are the guys behind Halo and now they just seem like they're so in bed with like one of the dirtiest publishers of all time and and everything they're doing is all about PlayStation they're getting all this time to exclusive content and all the marketing as with playstation and that's just a crazy crazy alternate like fucking history that's like a it's like some fucking alternate nazi history where 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 nazi germany won the war and now everyone's fucking living under li- living in a communist dictatorship you know and, and that's kind of the reality of what we dealt with this generation was we saw <laughs> sorry i had to laugh because it obviously it's not even remotely anything like that but i just i just want to be dramatic because i love Bungie. <laughs> But, but you you get the the rough idea that you get the rough idea that this is just a crazy thing that happened, and now I guess we're all comfortable with it, right? Because we're we're used to thinking as Bungie of Bungie as more of an independent developer, and we're think we're used to thinking of three four three as the Halo team now, and and Bungie being the Halo guys as like a thing of the past, and Destiny is Bungie's thing, and Activision is related to Bungie, and is related to Bungie, and it, you know, enough time has passed that we're all acclimated to this. But this is a a crazy world right now, and and you got to think like. This is one of those things that could have saved the Xbox, right? You know, Destiny, I know it's not a game that like gamers consider as one of the best games of the generation. It's not one of those games that gamers consider of like the creme de la creme of, of the PS4, Xbox One era. But in terms of sales, in terms of player attention, in terms of like conversation and spark and buzz surrounding this franchise, especially when it was new, Man, that would have been like the biggest get if it was like, sure, Xbox One has Kinect and it's a little more expensive and we dropped the ball out the gate with some of the marketing. But guess what? You know, Destiny, that new game you want to play, the Bungie game, it's only on Xbox. So fucking buy Xbox One, you fucking idiots. That would have been such a huge... That would have been... I'm not saying it would have been the thing that made the Xbox One 100% competitive with the PS4, but that would have been a massive component of it. It would have been a huge get for them. And it's so crazy to think that there was a time where Microsoft was so non-friendly to various developers and consumers and things like that, that this was... The Microsoft we dealt with was a Microsoft that was like, Yeah, but we gotta own the the IP, and yeah, we gotta have creative freedom or control over it. Like, like you hear the story about if you ever play Halo Reach, when you get to the main menu, the start menu, it doesn't say Halo Reach, it actually just says Reach. And it has that beautiful concept art of, of like the reach's surface just kind of being glassed and destroyed. And it says like start campaign, multiplayer, whatever, select options, whatever. And Marcus Leto, the guy from V1 Interactive, who is the co creator of Master Chief, ex Bungie employee was saying a few months ago on Twitter, he was basically saying... Yeah, I remember originally we wanted to call the game Reach. We didn't want to call it Halo Reach at all actually. We just wanted to call it Reach cuz we thought it was such a powerful name and it stood on its own and that people would get it and it would just be like, you know, it just be such a such a strong powerful name for a game because of what it invokes. And as a Halo fan, of course, I'm like I'm frothing at the mouth at the thought of that like how fucking cool it would have been to call that game Reach and to not even have Halo in the title. Fucking amazing. Such a brilliant idea. But he, Marcus Leto said, you know, Microsoft was not having it. They are like, no, 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 you have to put Halo in for, like, SEO purposes and for brand recognition and in order to sell the game. You know, people need to know this is a Halo game. We're not trying to be artist, all artistic about it. We're trying to be, you know, we're trying to sell copies here. We're trying to use our most popular IP to, to sell millions of units. And so the guys at Bungie agreed. They're like, okay, we, we don't really have a say in it. We can't do anything about it. So the game got called Halo Reach. Um, but... They said just to kind of stick it to them and to have some kind of control over that original desire. They just uh, they just left the title screen as saying Reach without Halo on it. Just as kind of like a, fine, we'll call the game Halo Reach like you want. We'll put it on the box, whatever. But for the start menu, we're getting at least a little taste of what we originally wanted. And, I, and I, the reason why I bring that up is because that's just such a small little microcosm of like the kind of control Microsoft used to have. You know, to, a reminder that even though those were the days where Xbox was on top and where everyone had 360 and everyone loved Xbox, those were actually the day when, the days where Microsoft and Xbox were, in my opinion, a worse brand than they are today, because yeah, sure, Microsoft, it's not struggles, but Xbox isn't a brand that competes as toe-to-toe with PlayStation as we would like for it to be, as much as Xbox 360 did with PS3, but I would argue Xbox is the best it's ever been because you have a, the leadership of people like Phil Spencer, people who come from the game developers' perspective, people who understand the artist and the creator and want to empower them and encourage them and not get in their way and step on their toes, and and you know they want to empower the consumer and give them options and give them ways to get in the door and to try new things and play new things. That's why we have Game Pass. It's why we have X Cloud. It's why Xbox Game Studios or Microsoft that's why Xbox game or Xbox Studios are so excited about the projects they work on because we have a new culture at Xbox. We have a new culture at Microsoft that's like, hey, go ahead and do what you want. We're here to facilitate an environment where you are empowered and encouraged and given the resources to make the games you want to make and for players to find and discover and play the games that speak to them. And that's not the Microsoft we had 10 years ago. And that's what this that's what I read this story and think about is how Bungie fell victim to an era of microsoft and of xbox that was you know run by corporate politics and run by you know the greed and a lack of understanding from a top level going down and and they burned the hell out of bungie And it's just such an unfortunate thing because if there's just any way microsoft could have held on to bungie just a little bit longer maybe here in 2020 we'd be talking about reality where Bungie is an Xbox Game Studios developer, you know, and Bungie is making exclusive games for Xbox or maybe at the very least they're just they're just a second party studio that has a really great relationship with with Xbox because, you know, Halo made Xbox and Xbox has funded Bungie and they've had a great relationship with one another. Maybe Bungie could be like what insomniac was to sony for all those years until sony finally bought them last year which is just a studio where you know not necessarily one has to own the other but they can work together and support each other and and have this kind of really good beneficial relationship for both parties and unfortunately that's that's not what we got because microsoft used to or xbox used to just not be that brand it used to just not be that good to its creators or its consumers i'm not not trying to say xbox was at one point shit and now it's great i mean Xbox has pros and cons then and it has its pros and cons now and I don't work for the company. I don't claim to know all these things and the ins and outs of, of what happens in the corporate politics but I I think it's pretty obvious from anyone's perspective that, you know, the Microsoft that Bungie speaks about when they talk about their split from Bungie after Halo 3 and they talk about things like this, like not going with Xbox when they started working on Destiny. It's like, it's so obvious to all of us here as Xbox fans who are constantly championing, championing all the great things that xbox is doing in the games industry and say wow these are two very different versions of the same person right these are it's like you know it's like me in high school when i was a uh, when i was constantly like being too cool for school and overcorrecting all my friends and trying to be mr self-righteous and then seeing me now when i'm just like eh, i'm just kind of a piece of shit and i'm just gonna let leave people alone it's like it's just one of those things where it's like you grow up you mature you learn and you look back and you're like man I fucked myself over so hard by being that guy back in those days and and this is a story that just kind of exemplifies how Microsoft was once that guy, you know, and it sucks. It cost them Bungie. And I think, you know, as much as I love 343, as much as I'm excited to see what the initiative is, as much as I love Coalition, as much as I love all of Xbox's studios playground games, what have you? There's no denying that Bungie's the one that got away, you know, if, if Microsoft could maybe not necessarily own Bungie, but have that relationship with Bungie where Bungie was making games for Xbox and they had that kind of mutualistic relationship, then then like, man, that would, that would just be it. That would be that thing where like, that'd be that golden ticket you hold over everyone's head where it's like, you can't talk shit about Xbox because we got Bungie. Like, and I truly believe it's not, not as a Halo fan, not as an Xbox fan, but just as a fan of like game design in the games industry in general. Bungie is, without a doubt, one of the top five greatest game developers ever made, period. And I'm not necessarily saying Bungie in its current iteration, but like the Bungie staff back in the day that made like everything from like Combat Evolved to like Destiny 1, like that Bungie team is just pure magic. Like the kinds of games Everything from their art direction, to their lore, to their storytelling, to their gameplay loops, to their mechanics, to their polish, to everything. Everything Bungie touches turns to gold. And I know Destiny's not like Halo, where it's like immediate 10 out of 10 critical darling, you know? is a game where it's like, it's a little more divisive and critically kind of like all over the place. But like, people who love Destiny know how great Destiny is. And when I play Destiny... You know, I don't love it the way I love Halo, but it feels like Bungie, and and you can see the amount of ingenuity that goes into that game because there is so much unique identity to Destiny. And there's so much industry like pioneering going on in that game, and that's what Bungie does the best. They are they are pioneers. They are not trendsetter. They are trendsetters. They are not followers. And it's such a shame that kind of from the get-go, Microsoft had those guys, and because they just they just weren't in the right place and handling things at the the right way at the right time. They kind of let that one get away, but I guess I mean that's kind of really far removed from what the story is all about. So we'll move on. But that's a that's kind of my rant on that story. Next up, we got another story from Windows Central, which is that Microsoft have detailed a new tool that may revolutionize the way developers work from home, and that's all thanks to Azure and Project X Cloud. So from Windows Central. By accessing the PC content test app, PCCTA, developers can use their dev kits through a 60 FPS version of Project X Cloud with low latency. That's probably the most nerdy sentence I will ever fucking read on this podcast. And I bet only 7% of listeners had any clue what ju- was just said. Um, but I'll continue on and we'll get back to it. Many of the developers using this are part of Xbox Game Studios, such as Ninja Theory, Playground Games, Rare, Turn 10 Studios, and Undead Labs. Some third-party companies are also using this technology throughout IDOS Montreal and Infinity Ward, or including IDOS Montreal and Infinity Ward. Sean Davies, technical director at Rare, mentioned that testing builds became extremely difficult when working from home, and that by using the new Project xCloud PCCTA testing builds has gone back from back to normal and whenever something went wrong, the team ha- now has a quote, the flexibility to react when something goes wrong, end quote. So let me explain what this all is because it's a lot of nerdy talk, but it's actually a really simple concept and it's that Microsoft is using Azure and Project X Cloud to basically allow game developers, namely Xbox Game Studios developers, but as well as other studios like Ados Montreal and Infinity Ward to basically access um, to access PC builds and in archi- and, uh, and, and developer tools um, that, you know, are at their office and things like that that they don't have access to now that everyone's working from home due to COVID and basically be able to access it via Project X Cloud, via Azure. And so this way they can work on their dev kits and build games for new hardware like Xbox Series X and all these things basically using the power of the cloud, basically using Azure technology. And this is immensely helpful, you know, as as we... <laughs> Are in the situation where people aren't able to work together as much, or have the their studio resources on hand as as readily available as they once did, of course, due to COVID. So this is a, a this is one of those things that's like it doesn't really affect me or you all that much, but it's one of those things that's like that's just so cool. This is one of those things Microsoft does very well. Where it's like the consumer isn't going to get all giddy about this because it's not like something sexy and hot that we can get our hands all over and talk about. But from a from the perspective of like giving, empowering developers to be productive and get work done. That sounds like a very Microsoft PR way to put it. But from that perspective, this is a really amazing tool that people can just access their dev kits and their, in their PC builds and all these things that they don't have immediate access to just remotely from their homes. Thanks to Project xCloud. That's, that's just amazing. This is the world we live in where, you know, work can be done from anywhere uh, and with anything just because... Because that's what Azure is all about. It's about it's about giving you the infrastructure and the tools no matter where you are and and tearing down these barriers of you need this expensive hardware in order to power this thing or to to pull this thing off. And I just think that's such a cool thing. And And there's not really much for me to get into here, but I see this as being extremely beneficial as we start to see more studios figure out how working from home can be more of a regular part of their routine as as we work through COVID and then get back to whatever normalcy is. Maybe this won't be the case as much in the games industry, but I assume a lot of industries are going to realize once we're able to get back to, you know, the real world getting outside and, and being together again in, in close proximity. I think a lot of industries are going to obviously come to the realization that, hey, this work from home thing is pretty economical and pretty reasonable for a lot of industries. And through technologies like Project X xCloud and, and Azure for Microsoft, like these are things that can make you know certain jobs completely obsolete in terms of you need to come commute and sit in traffic and go to this office and do this thing on a daily basis people can just do these things from home and this is an amazing example of how technologies at xbox are empowering you know developers right now but potentially like way beyond developers potentially empowering people from all different disciplines and work work disciplines and 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 industries and i just think that's Really fucking cool, and I guess, you know, I don't really know how to really divulge the story too much to make it more video game focused, but uh, that was something that broke a couple hours ago that I just wanted to mention because I just, I personally found that so inspiring and intriguing, so our, our final wrap up story, or wrap up stories, we got two more here, are that after some leaks and murmurings from last week, Ubisoft has formally revealed and showed extensive footage of their new upcoming Battle Royale game, Hyperspace. The new fast-paced, free-to-play Battle Royale game looks uh, to gain a competitive edge in the already crowded space by offering integration with streaming platform Twitch and by twisting the formula of the genre with some unique differences. From IGN, set in the VR world called Hyperspace, the game focuses on a sport called Crown Rush, in which 100 players split into squads of three and compete for victory. Wins can be claimed by the usual last team standing manner or by claiming the crown, a crown objective in the final phase of the match and holding onto it for 45 seconds. Unlike most battle royale games, Hyperspace stands out feature wise in that it takes place on an entirely urban map. The city clearly influenced by Paris is also literally littered with jump pads to allow fast travel and vertical movement. The game also is connected to Twitch to allow spectators a level of influence over the game and to earn rewards by watching. During the technical test, uh, viewers will be able to vote On in-game events, such as giving players all the unlimited ammo in the full game, viewers will also be able to unlock Battle Pass progression by watching people stream hyperspace and even joining a squad of their favorite streamers. The game is due out later this summer and will be cross-play on all platforms from day one, which is a huge get. So this game, my brother saw and he was like, oh, this looks really exciting. Uh, and, and it is cool because, I mean, the the big allure for me here is that it's, it's cross-play on all platforms day one, so unlike Apex Legends, I could actually play this with my brother and my nephew, who are fucking PC losers. But aside from that, I have such a hard time getting excited about this, and I was kind of like resisting bringing this up when we were talking about Halo Infinite Battle Royale, potentially, because it's like, how many of these are there going to be? I understand it's like Ubisoft would be remiss to not at least give this a go, right? Because... You know, Epic and 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 EA and all these all these people are just making so much money hand over fist from their battle royale games. It's like. We gotta at least try and see if, if there's any room for us in there, because if we can make money off of this, it'll be so worth it. And so I get that, and the game does look cool. It has a lot of jump pads, which remind me of one of the Apex characters. It has a little bit of wall running, which is kind of Titanfall-y, but also looks more like the Call of Duty kind of wall running. And it looks very it looks very Titanfall-inspired, I, I won't lie. It looks, it looks, as my brother put it, Hyperspace looks more like the Titanfall Battle Royale game, than Apex Legends does, which is kind of ironic and funny. And so I'm not trying to shit on the game. Like, I think it looks cool, it looks fun, it looks whatever. Artistically, I think it looks so fucking uninspired. But I guess that's not what matters in the Battle Royale. What matters is if it's addicting and if you're going to spend money in it, I guess. I don't fucking know. I'm just kind of jaded on this genre. And it's really hard for me to say anything thoughtful. So I don't really want to get into it too much. But Ubisoft jumping into the Battle Royale space. This is the kind of thing that worries me about Like, if Halo is going to have a Battle Royale mode. It's like, how crowded is this genre going to be? By the time Halo's Battle Royale makes it to market, you know, is it going to be too little, too late, or will being just a great game mode be enough to give it a spot in this in this competitive genre? Or like, what what is the thing? But I guess I guess we'll see. Like, if people take to hyperspace, if it if it takes off, if it's successful, then maybe there's still more room in this genre. Maybe maybe it's not all filled up like I'm saying it is or thinking it is. But yeah, just I, I'm just so it's so hard for me to get excited over this. I'll, I'll probably give it a try. I'll just download it and give it a try one night, probably, when it comes out. If it's good, it's good. But at this point, it's like, dude, there's so many games. I want to go play Yakuza Kiwari or whatever, that remake of the first Yakuza game that's on Game Pass. That's what I want to go play. You know, I want to go replay the Halo games or catch up on those Ori and the Blind Forest games I haven't been able to play yet. Like, I want to play new games or play story games or do something. I don't want to just commit all my life to one game as a service you know it's like what am I between like Halo and Apex Legends and and Titanfall and Destiny 2 it's like where am I supposed to find time to play new games if every fucking game the world thinks it's going to be the only game you ever play so That's that's really my concern with the Battle Royale thing, but I guess guess the potential earnings here is is worth the risk, especially if you're a company like Ubisoft, because you have the money to take the risk and see if it works out. So if it works out, then it was worth it. And if it doesn't work out, you're Ubisoft. You'll bounce back. You'll be fine. So I guess that's the thinking here, but I I can't feign excitement for another Battle Royale game. So we will just jump into our last story of the week, which is that late last week, Bethesda announced that Amazon Studios has licensed the right to the Fallout franchise for a TV series. The show has already already attained Westworld showrunners Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan on board with the project. And just as a side note, Jonathan Nolan is apparently the brother to Christopher Nolan from The Inception Guy, so that's a big get. Uh, From Windows Central, Joy and Nolan will uh, executive produce alongside publisher Bethesda, including Bethesda Game Studios director Todd Howard and James Altman, uh, director of publishing operations at Bethesda Softworks. Quote, each chapter of this insanely imaginative Imaginative story has cost us countless hours we could have spent with our families and friends, Joy and Nolan said in a statement shared to The Hollywood Reporter. They continue, So we're incredibly excited to partner with Todd Howard and the rest of the brilliant lunatics at Bethesda to bring this massive, sub- subversive, and darkly funny universe to life with Amazon Studios. Quote, Over the last decade, we looked at many of the ways to bring Fallout to the screen, Howard, Howard said. But it was clear that from the moment I first spoke with uh, with Jonah and Lisa a few years ago, that they, ha- they and the team at Kilter uh, were the ones to do it right, end quote. No timeline is set as of yet for when the show might debut, uh, but you can add it to your list of video game things that are becoming watchable things like movies or TV. Who knows if it will ever actually happen. But this is one of the... I, I'm actually usually like not too keen on these video games movies and things like that just not because i don't think they work but because i I think historically they don't work and i think i think they can work it's just um it's just hard like i was saying earlier in the show even that like i love that halo has like diverse range of, of media that it spans across like i've been listening to the halo books as audiobooks lately while i'm at work and shit and while i'm commuting and i've really been enjoying catching up on some more Halo lore by getting into the books. I've always wanted to get into the books and I'm really enjoying them. They're not amazing novels, but they're really interesting plot points with some eh, decent writing and I'm I'm really enjoying them and I and I'm seeing ways in which like Halo can be greatly expanded as a novel. Again, this is what I was saying earlier about the theme park thing where every medium of storytelling has its pros and cons and it's awesome to see a world I love like the Halo universe, you know, which is by default a video game universe explored in different ways like novels and sometimes with tv with like you know podcasts like hunt the truth and tv movies like like the Ford unto dawn show uh movie they did or the nightfall show they did you know things like that where it's like i'm excited to see things i love expand different mediums but it's like you got to do it right so usually i'm pretty down on these things because you think about things like the shitty Doom movie, and the shitty Hitman movies, and the shitty Assassin's Creed movie, and the shitty Prince of Persia movie, and all this crap, and you're just like, I c- come on, you know, or like even the Sonic movie, which as a huge Sonic fan, I thought the Sonic movie was pretty good, but at the end of the day, it's not Sonic, it doesn't, you know, it's not it's not Sonic, it's not the Sonic I know and love, it feels like a Hollywood Sonic, right, they, they turned, they diluted Sonic and made him like a like a, a thing for young American boys and, and, and diluted into like a Hollywood, whatever it is. Like it doesn't feel like the Sonic you love from the games. Like even though it's I thought it was a pretty good movie, it's just not Sonic. So I, I see things like this. I'm like, how are you guys going to do this justice? But with with Fallout, this is one of the rare examples where I'm like, actually, this, this might work because I think th- – as someone who has tried to play Fallout 3 a million times and given up every time because I just don't care, and who got halfway through Fallout 4 and then gave up because I just don't care, Fallout is a series that I absolutely adore from the world it's set in and the art direction, and just, I I, I think it's super fun and interesting and exciting, and I think everyone would agree with that. Fallout is such a great license just from its its setting and environment. I think it's just super fun, and I, I kind of get the idea here where it's like, I think what Fallout is, is it's universally attractive enough and appealing enough that maybe some people aren't giving Fallout a try because video games aren't their thing, but if you if you provide Fallout and serve it in a way that's more palatable to general audiences like TV, you might capture an even bigger audience for, for a franchise like Fallout because all the trappings and things that make Fallout special, which is its, its setting, uh, I think translate very well to the big screen, whether it's a movie or a TV show. So... Fallout's kind of, you know, when you think about what makes a Fallout game great, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's the setting and it's the premise. It's not like the characters, you know? You don't play a Fallout game you're like, oh my god, my character is so amazing. It's like your character doesn't have... they. It, it's kind of like the disconnect I have with open world games where like publishers always say open world games are great because you can create your own character. You can make a male or female or change their skin color or or like make them a cat or fucking give them a tail and name them whatever you want and change their voice. And that's true player agency, which I think is so funny because I'm like, that's not player agency to me at all because you play a game like Fallout and your character... character... Character has no personality because they have to make your character so general so that you can customize it. That when you're actually playing the story beats of the game, your character feels like a fucking nobody, and you, I. At least me personally, when I play games like that, where you make your own character, I have no emotional connection to my character. In fact, a fun fact, whenever I play an open world game where you create your own character, I always intentionally make the character as far apart from me as possible. Without fail, I always choose a female character. And then I just try to make her look very different from me because I'm like, no matter what I make this character like, I'm not going to see her, care about her or relate to her or anything in any way possible. Because first of all, the game's in first person. You don't see your character at all. And then when you're, like, going through dialogue trees and picking options, it doesn't feel like this character I created is speaking and interacting in this world. It just feels like I made a character, and that kind of starts and ends with the character creation, and now I'm interacting with NPCs throughout the world, and that just feels like me, the player, kind of blasting through the dialogue screens. Like, ah, this, this, this. It just, I don't know. To me, that never really clicks, that cohesion of like, create your own character, live out your own adventure in this world. Like, to me, I don't don't actually feel like that's player agency. To me, I feel like player agency is when you create the character, you create the scenario, and then you give me the control and the ability to... Decide and and manipulate that character the way I choose to be to me. That's that's player agency It's like wow So you're telling me Master Chief is this specific person But depending on how I play the game is depends like who Master Chief is like that's player agency not Create this generic person that doesn't even have a voice actor tied behind them and whatever so the only reason I bring that up is to say that like I think that's the key with 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 fallout is like the characters don't matter in Fallout. Like I, there are no memorable characters to me in Fallout. I think the character you create and play as doesn't fucking matter one bit in Fallout. I think what matters in Fallout is the setting. It's this. It's just like, like middle 20th century, like early to mid 20th century America. That's like this nuclear fallout. That's like you know kind of futuristic, but kind of like trapped with this like 1950s technology. It's super fucking cool. I think that's what people love about Fallout. So it's like well. What if you actually created compelling characters for the Fallout universe, and then you just recreated that setting for TV? It's like, well, that could actually work. So what matters in Fallout is that setting and that you come out of a vault, right? And that can easily be adapted to TV. So this is like a rare example. I guess I'm just, long story short, this is a rare example of like me thinking that this can actually be pulled off pretty well and apparently these are pretty good showrunners, so maybe they got some good tricks up their sleeves. I'm I'm not writing this one off, is what I'm saying. I think this one could be interesting and I would love an excuse to like Fallout. I can't get behind the games to save my life. I know I need to give Fallout New Vegas a try, especially because it's a because it's an obsidian-made game and everything. But man, I just I have almost no interest in giving Fallout a chance ever again. That's my problem. So if they can make a compelling TV show that that brings that awesome looking setting to life. Um, but with some actually interesting characters I give a shit about then I'd be I'd be interested in giving it a try so I don't know that's going to do it for all of our news this week now that we're in four hours just some quick ones to run through a little stories important enough to make the show but not important enough to warrant their own discussion we've got that Nacon the European gaming peripheral company have announced a new global licensing agreement with Microsoft to create officially licensed accessories for Xbox Series X controllers or for consoles rather and then next we got beginning the 21st of July Jeff Keighley and the Game of, uh, of the Game Awards will be kicking off the Summer Game Fest demo event which will run from July twenty. 25- first through 27th players will be able to try more than 60 new game demos for upcoming unreleased xbox games look for special game fest detail demo details or sorry look for special game fest demo tiles on the xbox one dashboard uh, that week to find collective collections of available demos some of the games you can expect to see include christ tale destroy all humans haven hellpoint skatebird which i want to play a lot the veil shadow of the crown raj and ancient empire and welcome to elk our next one here is that the Gears 5 Operation 4 begins on July 14th, and it's called Operation 4 Brothers and Arms. The new, new players during this um, operation include Dominic Santiago. Much like the Carmine brothers who were added in Operation 3, Dom will only be available in PvP matches with PvE support coming later. Um, other new characters and new maps will be added throughout Operation 4. Next, we've got that Windows Central reports Mafia Definitive Edition has been delayed to September 25th. They've also uh, reported that Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning is now set to be released on September 8th and will be getting an expansion called Faresworn, uh, which will be released sometime in 2021. Next, we've got that as part of Bungie Day, 343 have announced that Halo 3 will be officially launching on the PC via the Master Chief Collection on July 14th. Interesting to see 343 celebrating Bungie Day, but Halo 3 was a Bungie game, so... All in good fun. And then our last few here that Peripheral Maker 8-Bito have announced a new controller clip designed specifically with Project xCloud in mind. It even has the official Xbox Guide button on it. Amazon pre-orders for the sn 30 Pro Controller are up now for 45 bucks, and the controller will release on September 21st. And our final two are that earlier this week, roughly 30 minutes of Assassin's Creed Valhalla gameplay leaked, guessing that someone carried out the job that Ubisoft and Microsoft failed to do back in May. And then finally, the Dark Pictures Anthology Little Hope has received a release date of October 30th on Xbox One. This is the second entry in Supermassive Games' The Perfect Dark, or sorry, The Dark Pictures Anthology, following uh, 2019's Man of Medan. And that's going to do it for all of our news this week, guys. As always, we will round out the show by going over the new game releases of the week uh, from Xbox Wire. This week, there are a total of 11 new game releases that I will now go over. And we will, of course, as usual, as tradition dictates, uh, describe these games based on the titles and the screenshots alone and nothing more. Let's do a fast round since we're going really long this week and I'm going to be up all fucking night processing and condensing and uploading this one. So, first one is that NASCAR Heat is coming out on July 7th. This is a game... In the Cars universe, it takes place uh, before Cars had eyeballs, um, but after they had wheels. So our next game here is called uh, Super Liminal. Coming out July 7th, this is a game with a hallway, and there's a giant chess piece in the hallway. So this is a game about fire safety and why you shouldn't block uh, fire routes and exit routes. Our next game is called uh, Lanternium, which is basically Gary the Snail from SpongeBob, except he's old and graying and looks angry and then that rocky raccoon guy from guardians of the galaxy but they're in this uh they're in this uh Q-Bert little puzzle room and it has lighting effects that look like unreal engine 4 and then our next game here is called uh robo zaro which is a combination of bizarro the superman villain and robots uh meaning that everyone in superman must be a robot because Superman is the most uninspired and generic superhero of all time because the guy has no fucking weaknesses and that's boring as hell. No one wants a superhero with no plights or weaknesses or setbacks. That's not relatable. Who thought that was a fucking good idea? Our next game is called CrossCode. It's on Xbox Game Pass. It's out July 9th. This... cross code is when you and a friend uh make make a pact you make a a, a code a, a brother's an arms code and you and you promise not to cross it but then you cross it anyway so this is a friend about being a big old this is a game about being a big old dick of a friend and then our next game is called uh distraint 2 which is a game where you play as these oversized bobblehead man who have to have the distraint not to kill themselves because they are so ugly and hideous and of course they all have uh, beards and five o'clock shadow because they're hipsters and the next game is called sword art sword art online uh alicia zara edition uh, alicia zara light Ly- so this is a game where you play as an anime girl but what makes this interesting is that she not only wields a sword but is fully armored this is this is a this is like a, a historical moment in japanese gaming where They have a female character who's not overly sexualized and she's wearing an appropriate amount of armor to protect her in battle. I think this girl could probably go up against every anime warrior, every female anime warrior in the history of video games and anime and manga period, and she would, she would successfully defeat all of them and survive because she is properly armored with the exception of a helmet, she has her breasts covered, she has her thighs covered, she has her butt covered. This woman is going to be able to sustain damage taken in combat, unlike all the other anime girls who would probably just die in less than a one, one hit because they're pretty much just big old boobies and butts sticking out uh, with uh, like magic spells and shit. So, Good on them for being socially progressive and not over sexualizing this woman. Hopefully, that will allow her to survive in battle and not die um, as a martyr for pervy men. And then our next game is called F1 2020. I don't know why it's called F1 2020. It's literally just a picture of a Red Bull sports racing car. If any, it's like there's not even a game world, they forgot to design one. It's just a red background. So if you want to play as a game where, you, where you, you're you a sports car, but from the side view and you don't even get to run around because they forgot to build a world around this car, then this is a stupid fucking game. You can go ahead and download it. It's a waste of money. I'd play for it instead. We got the great... Uh, Perhaps, this week. This, the Great Perhaps is a game about a man dressed in a spaceman suit who thinks about all the things he could have done, uh, perhaps, uh, but he he did something else instead. So The Great Perhaps is about uh, perhaps, you know, uh, I... Um, I I don't have a college I don't have a college degree in in, uh, in political science therefore I shouldn't apply for this job as a uh, consultant worker and I don't have I don't have I don't have enough friends to um to go to Chuck E Cheese and rent out the entire building because because they won't rent it out to one lonely man who who wants to play at Chuck E Cheese alone and and perhaps I, um, perhaps I shouldn't have eaten four double cheeseburgers at the McDonald's drive-through because even though they were delicious and I had no problem taking them all down, I now I'm having a hard time breathing and feeling and feeling uh, fat and disgusting. So that's the great perhaps. And then our, our next game is called Bloodstained Curse of the Moon Two, which I think has already happened before. Then we got Sisters Royale, Five Sisters Under Fire, which is an Xbox Play Anywhere game. You know my policy on Play Anywhere games. Uh, you should play them Nowhere because this is a very uh, visually overstimulating anime rhythm game. And that's going to do it for all of our games this week. I appreciate you sticking by. That one wasn't really a fun one, but we had to get through it. So thank you, as always. Now, remember that for the rest of the month, we got a couple of games with gold. If you're on the Xbox One, you got WRC 8 FIA World Rally Championship for the rest of the month. You got Dunk Lords going from the 16th to August 15th. And then on the 360 side, you get Saints Row 2 until the 15th. And then for the other 360 game, you got Juju going from the 16th to the 31st. So be sure and download all those games. As for the podcast, I'm fucking tired. I'm going to go edit, compress, upload whatever I do with this podcast every week and get it up to you by 9 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning, as always. And I greatly appreciate you guys riding in. I really appreciate your feedback. Let me know if I don't... I probably should have mentioned this at the top of the show because I doubt anyone listens this far in. But if you're still listening and... You you enjoy the comments and, and things like that on the show. Let me know. Is that something that should be moved to the end of the show so that we can cover the news earlier and then get to the questions, comments, concerns, or should we keep it the way it is? Uh, we're starting to get enough feedback that I feel like maybe that should be a segment after the news. Whereas, you know, before I like to put it at the front because no one commented on the show. So if I ever got a comment, it would be easy to knock it out early on the show. So you let me know what you think about that, if you you have any preference. But more important than that question, I want to put another pressing question. You know, two weeks ago I asked, what are your preferred pizza toppings? Last week I asked, waffles or pancakes? And this week I want to ask you, a very pressing question, food-related, of course. I want to ask: burritos or tacos? Let let me know. And uh, that's gonna do it for our episode this week. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. And Eric, you are free to play us out with one of your mesmerizing tunes. See you next week. And oh yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I will be tweeting out from I'll be tweeting out from the Scarlet Nexus Twitter account this this week. That new Namco game on the Xbox Series X that we saw in May. I will be tweeting out from that account. So look out for Scarlet Nexus on Twitter tweeting about Halo Infinite and Sonic the Hedgehog because you will see it there all week. Thank you so much. Have a great one. Bye.